0: Hey, hey, everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I hope you're doing well. Please don't forget to check out my new book, The Art of the Argument, at theartoftheargument.com. And we had five great callers tonight. The first was a woman who got into a pretty deep and powerful debate with her pastor, who is an anti-capitalist. And we went through some of his arguments and some great rebuttals for them and sent her back into battle well-armed, I think. The second caller is an ex-Muslim who had some frustrations about how he was perceived by both the left and the right, and we had a pretty digging deep kind of conversation about why he changed his mind and what the response has been from those around him. The third caller, okay, so he works in a government school, and a new school is going to be built, and he's concerned that they're wasting a lot of money. Should he speak up about it? Should he in a sense, expose or identify himself and his beliefs in this way. Is it worth it? We all face these calculations every day. I had a good conversation about that. Now the fourth caller, his son has uh, been sexually assaulted by a woman who works for a government school. And he went ahead and took the legal route and now is facing the kind of blowback that staggers the imagination. Did he make the right decision? What should he do now, it's a very powerful conversation and I appreciate his honesty enormously in calling in about this very difficult topic. The fifth caller, I'm going to give you four words and then let you explore the conversation yourself. These four words are, and I quote, death penalty for lying. So, this is the show we have for you. I think you'll find it very powerful. I really appreciate and respect and honor all the callers for calling in. Please don't forget to support the show at freedomainradio.com donate. Follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and our affiliate link is always available for your shopping pleasure at FDRURL.com slash Amazon.
1: All right, well, for first today we have Lori. Lori wrote in and said, I had a debate with my pastor a few days ago about capitalism, the free market, and the poor. As Christians, we are supposed to be concerned about the weakest among us and help them. I see the free market as a way to helping people and as the ultimate in free will, but he can't see past his belief that capitalism exploits the poor. How do you convince another Christian that it is immoral to support a large government because it takes away our God-given free will? And what arguments can we use to show that a free society will not only restore free will, but will benefit the poor as well? That's from Lori.
2: Hey,
0: Lori, how are you doing tonight?
3: Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> well, that's peppy. I appreciate that. You know, sometimes the callers sound—they're a little bit like an elephant ass of Quaaludes sat on their inspiration. So uh, oh, I am very, very no, pleased.
3: I'm, I am—I listen to you since I found you a couple of months ago, every day.
0: Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. I, I appreciate that.
3: And I do donate. <laughs> so donate. <laughs> Fine.
0: Then I will be nice to you. Fine. All right.
3: Please be nice to me, even right. if I sound a little ignorant on some subjects. No, my uh,
0: <laughs> apparently, my politeness is very much for sale. I've never been prouder.
3: Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, um, you sound like a politician. <laughs> <I'm sorry.
0: laughs> hey, 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 <laughs>
3: hey, it started off so well. And then you're giving me if the Satan treatment. politeness is for sale. <laughs> um, do
0: okay, you, do you want to? Like, we could do this, like, I could just sort of give some arguments, or if you wanted to role-play the priest, I could sort of say what I would say to a priest in this situation.
3: Well, it wouldn't be a priest, because, I mean, pastor, although I was sorry. raised Catholic, yeah, although I was raised Catholic, I go to a non-denominational church. You know, honestly, Stefan, I pulled that question out because it happened right at the time I was I was planning to talk to you, but there's so many things I could talk to you about, so it's so hard. Um yeah, well, why don't you tell me what your thoughts are about, the, about talking to a pastor about the free market and about how it affects the poor and free will? I mean, and then maybe I'll just ask you questions. Is that okay? No, or? it's
0: fine. I mean, I, I guess my okay. first question would be, does he mm-hmm. think that compulsion in the realm of morality strips the virtue from the action? If you force someone to give money to the poor is that the same as somebody having sympathy for understanding the needs of the poor and voluntarily wishing to show their virtue and devotion to the teachings of the church in order to help the poor or should you just rob them in an alley with a knife and then give the money to the poor and call them saved
3: yes no I, i totally agree with you and and him and i we actually do a monday night um class, it's a it's a it's a philosophy class, it's called Contemplate that we get together and we all discuss all these different topics. And when I mentioned that, his his response is that the state has an obligation to the poor. And because we choose to be part of the state, that we use the state through you know, does that make sense? I don't know. I mean, I think yeah, it's, it's social it, contract
0: opinion. theory, which attempts to say that the state is not coercive because we're not actively engaged in a revolution or fleeing for our lives.
3: Exactly. You know,
0: which and, and I hate to use this crude a metaphor. But if, you, you know, if somebody sexually assaults someone else, it's like saying, well, unless they fight to the death, they're consenting. Exactly. You know, the fact the fact that you submit does not mean you agree.
3: Right, you might be submitting just to save your life.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, the reason that people give money to the state is, or the reason that people pay their taxes, for the most part, just
3: stay out of jail, is because shop, they are threatened.
0: You know, I mean, if right. if you're if you have a, a pizza shop in a sort of stereotypically Italian neighborhood, and the mafia guy comes by and says, "You know, nice shop you got here. It'd be real shame if something happened to it, but I can make sure nothing happens to it for only five hundred bucks a month." And then you exactly. pay them. It's like, oh, look, you're part of the social contract. You must love the mafia. It's like, nope, you just love your store not burning down. So, and I also would would like to know. I would also like to know what the pastor would feel the state is not justified in compelling people to do. I mean, if if giving to the poor is is justified, what other traditionally Christian morals would he feel? It is justified for the state to use violence to achieve.
3: Yeah, no that's a good question. I, I, that's definitely something I should I should throw at him.
0: seems like I, um, a little bit of a slippery slope to me. <laughs> All right, you know how you get to heaven? Pray to Jesus. So what the government needs to do is round people up at gunpoint. And have them kneel and pray to Jesus because praying, to, like, right. uh, asking for uh, uh, you know, if in certain denominations, of course, there's confession. So you got to drag people in from the street at gunpoint and force them to confess. And suddenly we start to sound like some sort of Stalin-esque show trial, right? Like, what, sure. what virtues is the state not allowed to force Christians mm-hmm. to manifest, and why? And if he if he says, well, no, you can't force Christians to pray at gunpoint, that would be crazy. It's like,
1: well. Okay. Um, why? Well, to
3: me that free, yeah, to me that free will thing is like, that's why I believe that a free society matches Christianity so much better. And I don't understand Christians that don't believe that because that free will aspect, in my opinion, God gave us life. I mean, if you believe in God, I know you don't, but you're also very kind to Christians. so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, if we believe in God, he gave us life. But the other gift he gave us, which is secondly most important, is free will. And without that, I, I feel like man spends all of eternity trying to take that away from other men. Does that no. make sense?
0: Well, that's the satanic thing. The satanic exactly. thing, in my view, is to say, and and it is, you know, that the possibility of salvation in the Christian framework is available to everyone. At all yes. times. And yes. you can always turn to the path of virtue, but Satan says people are so evil that you must force them to be good. And guess what? You've just turned evil. Good job, you everyone. You've just turned evil. And, exactly. and you've just well, stripped people of the capacity to help true, true. other human beings. So the other thing I would ask uh, is, is this First of all, what's wrong with being poor?
3: You know, and the poor today, I mean, is they're not really even poor. Are they? I mean, no. most of the poor? No. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> the,
0: the, the poor the person poor. today is better off than the richest person just 50 years ago. Yes. So, yes. so what's wrong with being poor? Is Is not being poor, like people might choose to be poor because they want to give away their property. They may choose to be poor because mm-hmm. they don't want to work a full-time job. They want to work a part-time job. And then spend time on spiritual improvement. You know, like monks were not the richest people uh, in the world. I'm not talking about the 80s band. I'm talking about the actual
3: monks.
0: (laughs) They were not the richest people in the world because they pursued spiritual uh, devotion. And and, and so, so what's, I don't quite understand, like, what's, what is wrong with being poor as some people choose to? You know, when, when I was younger, you know, I was in theater school and a bunch of the actors, they graduated and they were dirt poor. Why? Because they wanted to pursue. They the want to pursue of being their dreams. Natural.
4: Yeah, it's nothing wrong.
0: Yeah. What's, what's, I mean, Jesus was not – Jesus didn't say, you know, man, if you don't get to the middle class, whew, no chance for you getting into heaven, brother. I, I need to see no, some I, shekels I, here. You know, this was not a pay-for-play yeah. situation to get into heaven.
3: Yes, I, I, and, and I feel a lot of people who are, who are poor are poor by choice. I mean, I would, I would venture to guess most are somewhat poor by choice, even if it's – even if they don't realize it. Um, well, everything is a so, choice. Yeah, Everything is a
0: choice. So I would, I guess, ask the priest and say, okay, the poorest of the poor, what percentage of their income do you think they spend on luxuries? Right. And the answer is 40%. The very richest spend 65% of their income on luxuries. Middle-class people spend about 50% of their income on luxuries. And the poor spend about 40% of their income on luxuries. And that's how we know it's a choice. The Some of the poorest – well, the generally the lowest tier of of poverty in America is composed of households with two adults working, and they work an average of 15 hours a week between them. So they're each doing one seven-and-a-half-hour workday a (laughs) a week. Huh, I wonder how they magically end up poor. I know. It must be capitalist depression. Also, if you're concerned about poverty, having the government strip huge amounts of money from people's income would seem to me – to help make them quite a little bit poorer. And um, yes. when it comes to exploiting the poor, look, there are groups out there who exploit the poor. But exploitation must have an air or a, a flavor of coercion to it. You know, like yes. a fool and his money are soon parted. Like if, if you, you've got something that's really valuable and you sell it for really cheap, Okay. Well, you just learned an expensive lesson and hopefully you'll do better next time. But, and I, you know, it's, 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 it's a gray area. I know, like if, you know, somebody doesn't know that it's a diamond and they think it's a fake diamond or a Zircona or whatever, then you, you buy it from them. And, you know, I understand correct. there's a gray area there, but to exploit someone that we have to have, it's the difference between, you know, if, if, if I go into a bar and I say, Oh yeah, I'm a, Male Calvin Klein underwear model and an astronaut. <laughs> also I can travel through time. So what do you say? We get a leg up or two. And the woman is like, Oh, yeah, you're so dreamy. Mm. I, I do believe I'm gonna faint right into your arms. <laughs> well, okay. That's maybe not the most honest way to have a sexual encounter, but it's not rape. Right? I no, mean so absolutely not. So as far like there must be coercion involved. Now offering someone a job is not forcing them. However, I think your priest uh sorry, the pastor is right insofar as there are people who exploit the poor. One group who exploits the poor are politicians.
3: They do it now. Well no. <laughs> no, they
0: they exploit the poor are politicians because they will offer yeah. them free stuff in return for votes. That's incredibly corrupt. Absolutely. What Absolutely. about uh, what about unions who don't provide much yes. material benefit for the poor or the middle class and yet take a huge amount of money out of their pockets in the form of union dues, which
1: are compulsory?
3: Yes. My husband is getting, um, he just got a certified letter in the mail. His company was bought out and he has to join the union and, or he can't have a job. Mm. And I'm just like, and we are, I'm, I'm from Michigan, but I live in which, um, Michigan's very blue collar. I'm sure you're pretty familiar with that. I know a lot of union stuff with GM and all that. And I've never been a fan. I've always been against the union for multiple reasons. And so being forced into it for him to keep his job is really upsetting to us. You know,
0: of course, because your choice is being removed. I'm not talking about voluntary unions. I'm talking about right. you can't work in the fields. Yeah. yeah. Who else exploits the poor is a third of Americans need licenses to do their jobs, which effectively bars mm-hmm. the poor from getting jobs. Who else exploits the poor? And this is a particularly egregious one is higher education. Uh. Right? I mean, that you get 17 year olds or 18-year-olds to sign multi-decade documents of near permanent indebtedness which bankruptcy mm-hmm. cannot even discharge. Right. In return for no. what? A bunch of marxist programming that makes you hate the market and and never have any positive attitude towards getting a decent job or enthusiasm for participating in in the free market? I mean, that so there is exploitation out there and there's mm-hmm. reasons to focus and of course, you know, there are the shadier religious institutions that offer people, you know, fake cures and holy water sure. and, and all of this in return for...
3: You However, know. don't you feel that the government system, the way it's set up now, actually protects those charlatans? I mean, don't you think that if a free market would take care of itself and the fact that people would be more able to vote with their feet when people were exploiting people because competition would jump up. There wouldn't be as many regulations. People would be able to start businesses without the government controlling whether or not they can start them. You know? right? And this,
0: think- is, and this is the usual thing that happens with people, Laurie, which is they, they say, here is this very destructive element within human nature. You know, that the capitalists are going to exploit the poor. People want to exploit the poor. They want to control the poor. They want to rip off the poor, steal from the poor, and so on. They want to just profit from the (laughs) poor. And it's like, okay, but how do you get to divide humanity into this weird Taoist bifurcated cake where the capitalists have this capacity, but the politicians don't? If you're going to say say. people want to exploit (laughs) the less able, the less intelligent, the less well-off, the less wealthy. Then you have to. That has to be everyone. In which case, you have to say, okay, well, what's going to limit people's capacity to exploit the poor? The poor. Well, if you don't want people to exploit the poor, what you want is more and more people hiring the poor, right? So you want to yes. you want to lower barriers for people to be able to create jobs and offer jobs to the poor. You don't want minimum wages. Yeah. You don't want r- ridiculous licenses right. and regulations, and you don't want really complicated uh, uh, laws that nobody can follow you don't want to like fine people for selling lemonade on their front porch and, and setting up their own cake shops in their house or whatever right so the more people who are around to hire the poor the more the wages of the poor are going to be bid up it's supply and demand so sure people have the capacity to exploit the helpless and the dependent and so on which means that the people in the government are going to do it even more so because there's no oh, competition they give them for the
3: them government a license to do it. right, right. <laughs> and we pay them to do it <laughs> they're heck they're exploiting people with other people's money
0: and the other question is and this is going to be a little bit more personal but um go ahead let me ask you this laurie why do you think some people are poor
3: uh, well i grew up like i said in michigan close to flint are you familiar familiar with flint michigan
0: i, I do <laughs> believe i've seen the the Michael Moore film, and uh, okay, it looks uh, it looks challenging. Well, well, no, not if so, you're a feral wild dog looking for human meat, but for other people, right. it seems to be a challenge.
3: So I grew up on the outskirts of, of Flint, Michigan, in a small town, and my family lived in Flint. I know a lot of people who grew up in the system. and uh, honestly, the system,
0: which system? Uh,
3: the the government system uh, on welfare, right, right, on, okay. you know all, all that
0: so many, many systems things. to choose from. I just want to make sure <laughs> yeah, we're on sorry. the right one. That's,
3: I'm sorry. I personally believe that most people in this country are poor because of the system, because of the government welfare system. Right. That's what I feel. And I I think you're spot on when it comes to two-parent households, dads and kids' lives. Um, and I, I was talking to an African-American woman the other day, and the only reason I bring up color is because we were talking about that community. And they teach their kids things that keep them down the things that the, the language they use with their own children yeah i was makes, just talking about this
0: with candace owens as well yeah
3: yeah actually i just watched that actually too and i was and i um i actually comment i actually messaged her afterwards because i was really impressed i really like her um i really like her oh
4: she's fantastic,
0: <laughs> but, I mean, no, she's she's fantastic. perfection
3: but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, no, I think people are mainly poor because they have, because they have a crutch, I guess. Right. Does right. that make sense?
0: No, I, I think, no- yeah, I mean, we, we know for sure that there's like three things that people need to do to not be poor. And they're not that complicated, right? Number one. They're really not. No, that number one, finish high school. Uh, number yeah. two. Uh,
3: don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant <laughs> outside of wedlock. of
0: wedlock. And number three, get and hold a job for at least a year.
3: Yeah. And, and I would, and I would, I would, uh the out of wedlock thing too, I'd, I'd say stay married if you can, yeah. you know, I mean, add that on there too, because uh, these kids are nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So that's what, and also, I mean, we can always talk about, and you know, of course my pastor will bring up well, what about the disabled and what about that? But he knows better than that. He knows he's throwing something at me that I would never say, well, we're not, we shouldn't take care of them. However, my, my, Belief is if the state didn't take care of those people, the church would, and I think it would make the church relevant again. Does well, that make so
0: sense? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the question I, I wanted to get at, and you know this is what okay, I, I talked to with with the pastor. And I, I, why is someone poor? And I was thinking about this question like all afternoon because okay. it's very very important.
3: We're preparing. Yeah, it's a very
0: <laughs> very yeah preparing. Very important question. And I wanted to tell you a story. Of a guy named Bob. Okay. So Bob is a guy I knew when I was growing up. Really a very brilliant guy intellectually. Mm -hmm. Like top of his class in in math and physics. And just like a really smart guy. Great language skills. And uh, just smart as a whip. But, but, he grew up spiritually impoverished. And Mm. by that what I mean is he grew up in an environment no father he grew up in an environment
4: mm-hmm.
0: where it was petty it was small it was no vision there was no grandeur there was no possibilities there was nothing that no he could dreams. aspire to no dreams no dreams
4: mm-hmm.
0: and it was brutal for him in particular too because his father actually lived in the same city but never saw him ah like never saw him and so and his mom would not let him go. Mm. You know, it was like this weird maternal Venus flytrap, you know, it's like, yeah. hey, yeah. Bob, I've, I've just made some hamburger helper and I've, I've made too much. Do you, do you want to come over and help me finish it? And he's like, well, you know, it's easier than cooking for myself. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Not yes. in the long run, it's not, I guarantee you. And she's like, Oh, I can't figure out how to work my remote on the TV. Could you come down and help me? And it's like, oh well, you're here. Why don't you help me watch Matt Lockett? You know, we'll see if we can figure <laughs> out the crime. You know, like she was just this this gravity well of like yeah. come on down, you know, I'm mm-hmm. gonna make things easy for you. You know, and, and because she didn't have a husband, and and so as she got older, which is the case, single mom of a single Sorry, single son of a single mom. That's like usually where the gene pool ends like right there. It's pretty horrible.
3: Right there. Yeah.
0: And he was super smart, but spiritually impoverished. And I remember Mm -hmm. very clearly once he told me, this is when I was a teenager, he said, he told me this story about how he'd woken up as a child and had seen the body of a Victorian woman floating over his bed. Mm. And he was convinced that this was... A ghost. Okay. Now, the moment to me somebody says, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, the father, the son, the holy ghost and so yes, on. Please, I'm talking about okay. <laughs> like the, the woo-woo, you know, like the, the clanking and chains and, and you know, sixth sense yes. stuff. Yes. The superstitious form of ghost, not the religious. But sure. um and and he like once he had this, you know, he had contact with another world and she had visited him for some reason and he was supposed to do something. This made him special. And this substitute for specialness. Uh, of specialness for ability is very common, I find, in uh, poor households. They say, I'm special because of I saw a UFO once. Or I'm special because uh, I know the truth about 9-11. Or I'm Like stuff which uh, the market doesn't particularly value and in fact It may be a disvalue in the market. Or I'm special right. because I see the truth about society that no one else sees and I'm above it all. And I'm superior. Well, dang it. Aren't
3: you special because of that? <laughs> I'm kidding. Well. I'm teasing. It's, I'm teasing no, to me,
0: you. to me, it's it's fine to see the truth about society. Then go and make it a job. <laughs> you know, go and make it something. Don't keep it to yourself and just have it be special in your own it's private dungeon. It's
3: not your dungeon. only thing. Yeah. Right, right, right. And it, can't, it can't be what sustains you. Right,
0: right, just right. Just knowing
3: it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's sort of
0: like I have the power to heal at a touch, so I'm saving it for my own hangnails. It's like, no, that's not... <laughs> That's not really what that power is supposed to be for, use it a little bit more. And she had this, this specialness. And of course, you know, when I would give him the sensible questions as a teenager or the sensible statements, which is, hey, Bob, I mean, what's more likely a Victorian woman appeared above your bed in the middle of the night to tell you something and make you feel special for the rest of your life without you actually having to do anything? Or do you think it might be possible that you had a lucid dream?
3: You had a dream. (laughs) Yeah, of course.
0: It's the middle of the night. It's really dark. I think I woke up and saw it. Wow. You know, I mean, so now he, again, despite his brilliance, because he had this sense of specialness, for him submitting himself to the mere market when he felt that special and that, the vanity, Mm. right? The the poverty and vanity to me go hand in hand, you know, like – I'm too good for the market. I'm too good to put my specialness to the test of mere materialism. You know, Jim Morrison snarls in that song, trade in your hours for a handful of dimes. You know, it's like, I can't possibly trade my hours for a handful of dimes. I'm special. I'm great. I'm wonderful. I'm fantastic. (laughs) I just don't want to ever find out. For real, in the marketplace, how much my specialness. You know, can you imagine putting that on on your resume? You know, well, I finished high school. I took a little bit of college. Oh, yeah, and a 19th century Victorian woman floated above my bed when I was seven.
3: So now I don't have to do anything else ever again because.
0: Do I just get to be CEO because of that now? I mean, I don't want to work my way up. I mean, (laughs) I've been visited by people from the hereafter. That makes me
3: special. You know, I, I, I find that a lot with the special thing with people who have Hi, really high iq sometimes i know that sounds that i know because i i know and I, I i question this sometimes because it's like are you really that smart if you're sitting around doing nothing
0: <laughs> well <know>? there's intelligence <laughs> and then there's wisdom right these two yeah. they're in separate dungeons and dragons categories for a reason this is a joke that means nothing to you but
3: <laughs> it's okay it's, I, I appreciate I know dungeons and dragons yeah oh, I, i'm sorry i, I got it i know dungeons and dragons
0: Okay, just beware—you you're going to have an in ball of marriage proposals from this show. But anyway, um,
3: uh, I'm a fantasy artist. I'm oh, an artist. Oh,
0: okay, okay. Wow, excellent. So you are doing what my daughter wants to do. All right. Really? So That's awesome. I think that this 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 sense of specialness, this this vanity, that happens where people do not want to submit what they do. To the marketplace. And I don't mean the marketplace necessarily of cash. It could be the marketplace of ideas. It could be any number of things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, because he did not want to put his specialness to the test, or to put it it another way, because Bob had a sense of specialness that did not require him to improve, for him to take risks, for him to fail. You know, he was special. And so he had this false self vanity thing going on. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? That means that he can't ever really succeed because there's very little self-criticism when you have that kind of vanity mm-hmm. and specialness. There's very little mm-hmm. capacity to take negative feedback and, and to work with it constructively and to improve. You know, one day, and, Laurie, yeah. in this show, I may myself receive some negative feedback. It could
3: Oh, it conceivably could happen. happen.
0: Obviously, not yet, <laughs> naturally. But oh. at some point in the future, I'm, I'm on the lookout for it. I
3: haven't heard... I haven't heard any of it. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Everyone just thinks your praises constantly.
0: <laughs> so, so why why are some people poor? Well, because they grew up in an impoverished no-dream household because yeah. they're grabbing onto stuff that makes them special that has negative market value. You know, can you imagine being in a job interview and you know, well, what you know, what makes you a good fit for this position? You go through A, B, C and it's like, yeah, but you know. What really makes me special is the fact that I get visited by ghosts in the night.
4: Yeah. It'd
0: be like, uh, I don't know that that's going to add a lot to your marketability. And so there's there's just one example, and there's so many different ones. There's one example of, here's somebody who ends up poor. And what's interesting is I think that the material poverty is a reflection of the spiritual poverty.
3: Spiritual poverty.
0: And the reason I'm saying this, Laurie, is I would say to the pastor... If the Mm -hmm. physical poverty, if the material poverty is a reflection of the spiritual poverty, why would you turn the solution of that over to the state? Is that not the the province of the church?
3: Exactly. Exactly. I'm so glad you came around to that because I, I really do believe that with the state out of it, the church would have, the church used to be who took care of the poor and who helped with charities more. And I mean, they still do, but not to the extent. I mean, people used to rely on the church and now... I mean, we try to do things, but people don't really need us as much because they have the state. Well, you know? that
0: is, yeah, that is very true. And I won't go into any particular details, but I have lost <laughs> complete influence over family members as a result of the state giving the money. Because the church can say, the church can go as it used to do, as you know, the church used to go to poor people. And they would try to differentiate between poor by accident or poor yes. by stupid. Yes. Like poor by bad yes. decisions, poor by like. You 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 drink Deserving up your money and you go and, and blow your paycheck poor. at the racetrack, right? I mean Yeah. And the people who were poor through no fault of their own, well, you help them. And the people who are poor because they're making bad decisions, you don't give you them money. Them. You give them counseling. You give them solutions. Because giving money to people who have, say, they're addicted to drugs or gambling or whatever it is or sex, then it, it you're just you're reinforcing, they you need, are enabling. They need
3: spiritual help. They, they don't They need financial help, right.
0: Some, some, giving money to some people makes them better. Giving money mm-hmm. to other people makes them worse. Now, the government doesn't Absolutely. care and can't figure it no. out. The church used to invest a huge amount into that, and people had to submit to what the church said because there was no other game in town.
4: Yeah. Right. And so the church would say, have- Oh,
0: okay, yeah. we'll pay three months of rent, but you gotta to go to AA and you've got to do this, and you gotta to come to church and you've got to deal with this and you gotta go and get your teeth fixed, and you gotta whatever, right? You gotta start exercising. Yes. I don't know, whatever it would be to get people out of wherever they were. And and people would they'd hate it, but a lot of them would say, Wow, that was the best, you know, kick in the butt I ever got. But when you've got the government yeah. handing That's over there love. with money, 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 money. The church can't make anyone do anything. And I think that's a real shame because the government doesn't it care is. about getting people better.
3: Oh, absolutely not. They care about votes.
0: Right. Well, and, and these days they just care about not having neighborhoods set fire to. Like, it's, it's really just, it's no longer even we want votes. We just don't want, um, we don't want the neighborhood set on fire with riots. If they don't want looting. the
3: neighborhood set on fire with the riots, why the hell aren't they getting in control of the media? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> right, right, right.
0: right. So no, I, the, I these are sort saying. of the, the arguments that I would make. I, you know, it's, it's kind of a shallow approach to say the problem of poverty is a lack of money. And if you give mm-hmm. the poor money, everything will be solved. That is right. really not – it's not a spiritual or deep or meaningful or soulful explanation. Right. And the other thing, too, is that if he's concerned, if the pastor is concerned about people exploiting the poor – the, then the best way to help the poor is to give the poor more marketable skills.
1: Because mm-hmm. if, the, if the
0: poor have more marketable skills, then they can contribute more value to a business, and therefore a business will pay more to have the poor person work there, right? I mean, if all you can do is push a broom, you ain't going to get more than a couple of bucks an hour. But if you can do a lot more than that, if you can program a computer, if you can, uh, I don't know, if you've got really great sales skills, if, Then you can contribute more than a couple of bucks an hour. So you'll be paid more than a couple of bucks an hour. So my question is then, why is there poor? They have already been in government schools for 12 years by the time they hit the marketplace. Why do they have no skills? Why do they not have anything that's of value to a business after they've been trained by the government five days a week, you know, six, seven hours a day with summers off for 12 years? So, and, and because they're graduating without skills, they can be exploited. In a sense, in other words, they won't get paid much because they're not worth much. So the best way to help the poor is to have them be worth more. So the question is why are the teachers unions and the governments and and everything, why are they not focused on raising the skill sets of the poor so the poor can make more money? That is really exploiting the poor, which is just basically holding them hostage, teaching them dumb nonsense about nothing uh, in return for gaining control of the um, huge amount of money the government pumps into education. That's real exploitation.
3: Oh, absolutely! And you know, it's not like my pastor doesn't know these things. I mean, he pulled his kids aren't in school. My kids aren't in school. (laughs) Um, I mean, I won't. I mean, I'm I'm like so disgusted with the school system right now. There's just no stinking way my kids are going to school. Um,
0: (laughs) Right. No. And what was it that I was really surprised at the numbers in 1970? There were 15,000 kids being homeschooled in the U.S. Now it's like 2.6 million.
3: You know, we have no choice. Yeah. My my not my. I mean, forgive me for this, but and but my daughter's best friend lives next door and she just started school and first week of school there's there's like five girls that are now boys hmm. and i know that's not the subject i know that's not what no, we're talking no, about right but, now uh, but it's, it's just a challenge all to explain. These, it's it's just one of those things that i just the and you, they can't say anything and you have to call them what they're what they want to be called or you're in trouble you know and it's just like this doesn't make any sense
0: Larry Elder, also with regards to the spiritual thing, Larry Elder just tweeted. I love him. Yeah, you know, he he's, he's said, kid raised without a dad is five times more likely to be poor, nine times yes. more likely to drop out, 20 times more likely to end up in jail. So let's talk statues. And yes, that's, that's true. So being raised without a father because here's the challenge, and your pastor, I'm sure, would understand this. If you say, "Well, this kid is poor because he was raised without a father," or "This kid is is currently being raised without a father," so let's give the mom a lot of money because the father is not around. Well, all you're doing is you're paying women to be single moms. You yes. pay the money to not have a father around. Yeah.
4: So and you know tell what? me how you are yeah. going to
0: solve a problem when you pay people. $60,000 a year in, in benefits and welfare. You pay people the equivalent of a $60,000 a year job to have no uh, husband.
3: You know, that really irritates me because I work so stinking hard and so does my husband. Right. And to hear that they get the equivalent of a $60,000 job just really irritates me.
0: <laughs> he also said the number one problem in black community is fatherless households, followed closely by the anger of unwed fathers when this is pointed out. <laughs>
4: it's
0: tragic. So yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot to be said in terms of poverty. I think that human opportunity is vastly under met. It's under stimulated at the moment. I think that I people agree. could do an enormous amount more. And I think there is massive amounts of exploitation going on of the poor. It's just not coming mm-hmm. from the free market. The free market it's is not. the solution.
3: I agree. I, I, I am. I, I mean, we him and I go round and round about this and, and I say the same thing. So I, I just honestly, I'm getting to the point where I just don't think he wants to hear it. He's not, uh, he's not like, I mean, he's conservative, but, um, Is he? Well, I'm mostly, (laughs) but he doesn't seem like he's very conservative on that aspect. Does it? Um, I, I don't know. I know he doesn't like Donald Trump, (laughs) but that's okay. You don't have to like, there's a a lot (laughs) of, you know, a
0: lot of, um, a lot of leftists have infiltrated the church. I mean, yeah, we think of think the church, that- the Christian church uh, in the West, and particularly in America, and it still is in a lot of places. this this bastion of conservative and so on. But it's the same as it is in other country, other companies and so on, and other fields and other areas, like the media and tech companies and so on. The church has had its stampede of social justice warriors pouring into it.
3: Yeah. And yeah.
0: Uh, that is something that's going to have to be dealt
2: with at some point.
3: I think, I think it is. I, or we're just... I don't know i i listen I, I listen to your your videos, and obviously a lot of other people too. While I work, I watch them. Wait, while I'm sorry. I
0: work. What, what was that about other people?
3: Oh, just other people that I that I that I listen to, like no, I'm Larry sorry. Elder. And, and I'm
0: sorry, you 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 were talking about listening to other people. You poked my heart. I'm sorry. Just go on.
3: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just sorry. kidding. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it's other people I find through you. <laughs> to be completely honest, it, it's, still <laughs> it's, exactly exactly sa- it's still exactly the same. It's
0: still exactly the same. As as a betrayal <laughs> and infidelity, I just I just wanted you to mention that. But okay, go ahead. You're
3: the only one. You're the only one I donate to at the time because you're the only one I listen to every day. <laughs> Fine, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, see, you can be bought. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> no, but um, I forgot where I was even going with that. Now, I don't know. Just
0: oh, you were talking thought... about um, how you listen to myself and other people when. Uh, You're working, and we would we had just been talking uh, about how the social justice warrior stuff had really gone into the church and needs to be dealt with.
3: Yes, yes, and someone was talking about about how the church has softened its its views, and it's really not; it's more worldly. It's not they're not sticking to the values anymore. And, and I know, again, I know that you're, that you're an atheist. And and to be honest, before I found this church, I was on the verge of atheism. I was dabbling in some different, I wasn't sure what I believed. Um, I had a really hard time with whether or not someone who is intellectual or smart, um, can believe in God because he's really unprovable, you know, but there's just something for me that, gives me purpose, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. And bigger. as far as
0: the leftist stuff goes, I mean, I'm not sure how many degrees of separation really there are between the, the current Pope and a Druid. No. You know, because Druids are like yes. nature worshippers and all this, and he's like, well, we're angering Mother Nature. I mean, he's like Jennifer Lawrence in a funny hat. So, uh, uh, it is, I, uh, you know, this, this well, is really yeah. becoming nature worship at this point uh, with his sort of global warming stuff and, and you know, the, the I things know. like, man, dude, I mean... <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to show up in a robe with a a staff and, you know, cast a sleep spell or something because it seems pretty pagan to me. Uh,
3: Yeah. Well, I think he's just trying to gain popularity with with some of the leftists. I don't know. Yeah, that's right.
0: That's exactly how Christianity was founded. Jesus just wanted to gain popularity with everyone. That's why he just didn't (laughs) say everything that was so popular and he never got into any trouble about anything.
3: Oh, I'm absolutely not arguing for him. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm just being sarcastic, of course. (laughs) Yeah. No, I have a really hard time with organized religion. That's why, I mean, this church was one of the, what brought me to this church um, and why we're there really is because my daughter at the time, we had just moved out here and she was 12 and she was in school and she was having a really hard time. She was starting to become a mean kid, you know, one of those mean girls and I won't tolerate that. And I mean, I'm. You stand up for yourself, but you don't treat people terrible. You just don't do that. And so I wanted her to get her around a better influence. And so we started going to church and found a youth group, which really has helped her because she's being at least being taught some values again, you know, outside of the house. You know, when you're in school, it's just they teach them such crazy stuff. And all the other kids are being raised by parents who don't care. And I mean, I don't say I mean, their parents think they care but they obviously don't care if they're not watching what their kids are doing on social media they're not watching how their how their kids are you know just treating other people and what exactly their kids belief systems are turning into and you have to engage with them and they ha- you have to know what they're learning and that they're not turning out to be little Pardon my French, but little shit asses, right? <laughs> I mean, because that's what they're turning into. when they go to public school, isn't that terrible? Oh my gosh!
0: Well, no, it's it's uh, one of these things too. Like I always have a kind of rule that if I'm really start, if I'm in a relationship where I'm really starting to feel the urge to be mean, it's time to take a step or five back.
3: Yeah, you know, exactly. Because yeah. in healthy
0: relationships, you can be assertive and it's fine. But if you're in a relationship mm-hmm. where there's this escalation and this meanness, it's like, okay, well, I don't like being that way. And yeah. I don't have to be that way. Uh, so I have to take a step back. And this is the same thing with government schools. Yeah, no, parents have this weird thing these days. So I, I care about my children so much. I really found a good daycare for them. It's like, no no, 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 no That's not my it. kids have never no. been in daycare. I'm no. sorry, no, I wish you could rewind <laughs> and try again, but what you're doing is you're gaining yeah. a bit of peace and quiet now, and you're going to get a huge bladed boomerang coming back on you in the teenage oh, years. Oh,
3: yes, so I'm an older, I'm an older mom too, I have a three-year-old son, he will never go to school, <laughs> he will never, as long as I'm alive and kicking and can teach him, he will never go to school. Right. Luckily, I work from home, so I can do that, Right. but and you too. I mean, you you find a way, right? When you really want to, you find a way. If you, that means you have to downsize, if that means you can't have some of the material things you want, you find a way to raise your kids. Number one, you love them. No one else does. And they're learning such terrible things in the world. And I think that has a lot to do with, like, the poverty, like you were talking. I think these kids are just raised with no values. Yeah. They're raised with no ambition. No one cares about what they do, you know? And so why do they care? And they don't. And then they become useless.
0: There's an old cartoon I remember when I was a kid, like just a single frame cartoon. And one mm-hmm. businessman is looking at another and all of their lines of the charts are going down. And a businessman is looking at a whole sort of table. I guess it's a, a board of directors. And he says, uh, well, Hannibal got elephants over the Alps. With that in mind, someone come up with something. And it's always <laughs> really struck me. That really stuck in my head because – it's sort of like, well, I, I, I'm not sure it's going to be easy for me to homeschool my kids or to not have my kids in government schools. But it's like, go watch the movie Dunkirk and then talk to me about a difficult day. You know, go, go watch the movie Saving Private Ryan or I don't right. know, a day in the life of a 12th century French peasant and then talk to me about how difficult it is to make these kinds of choices. It's.
4: Not
3: well in in the in the state, you know it was leading to the poverty of these kids because they're not educating them correctly they're not you know they're they're talking the parents basically into letting the state raise their children yeah. and they're just being indoctrinated into being slaves basically i mean i I hate to say it that way, but
0: well i'm I sorry the, but the real it's, it's even worse because not only are they being indoctrinated in being slaves but if they certainly more so if they go through a university and so on. Mm-hmm. they are being indoctrinated into being slave masters
4: mm. and that
0: is where well, the real crazy it's, it's better to suffer wrong than to do wrong i'm with socrates as far as that goes but uh, mm-hmm. you know when they come out of of these government schools you know i get you get messages from from parents who is like oh yeah you know my daughter we had a great relationship you know she spent 3 years taking feminist courses in college and now Ugh. she hates my guts and we don't talk anymore and it's like that is horrifying uh, and so, uh, so because now they're like, oh, yeah, well, you're just part of the patriarchal cisgendered white scum, whatever. Right.
3: Uh, and that
0: is now they're slave owners. Thing? Now they're part of the apparatus yes. that's that's oppressing other yes. people. So that's
3: oppressing of other people. The scariest thing I think right now for me is the fact that I'm I have a young son and the rhetoric and everything that's being said right now. I mean, he's a young white boy, blonde haired, blue eyed boy. And. What I mean, he wasn't born inherently evil. I am so tired of what they're teaching about white men right now. It makes me wanna it makes me wanna punch somebody. No, I'm kidding.
0: no <laughs> I listen, I, I, I understand think. that. You know, there are there are certain people in the world and they are oh. ginning for a race war. They are they really trying are. to poke and prod and escalate and and they so are. on for a race war, like there was a video that was posted, I guess, relatively recently on YouTube. It's a music video where a young yes! white child is being hung. hung. Like they're raising I him off that. the ground. He's jerking. His legs are jerking. He's being lynched and hung by a black man. By a black man. And this is the, this is the problem. When you, this is what Mike Cernovich pointed out as an excellent point. Once you start censoring, then everything you don't censor, by default, you approve. This is why you don't censor.
4: Mm-hmm, right, so exactly. then
0: by everything by default, uh, you you approve, and that is a real challenge when it comes to uh, public facing stuff, and uh, it is it, brutal. It
3: blows my mind.
0: Yeah, it is brutal, and, and yet, yet you you know you come up with some conservative viewpoints, and boom, right?
3: And I find that most of the conservatives that have viewpoints are usually pretty respectful in how they how they deliver them. Well, that's I mean, the problem not,
0: now, isn't it? And I think conservatives are figuring this out, which is why there's a new. Uh, conservatism, which is saying, okay, well, this being nice stuff, we've we take a pretty good swing at it for about 150 years, maybe I 200 actually,
3: years. I actually had one of my African American friends say that to me the other day. She was talking about re- race relationships. She was talking about inter- interracial relationships, but it brought but it brought that to my attention. She was talking about her white girlfriend who's married to a black man and how terrible he treats her. And and this is her talking, not me. And I said, and she's like, well, you know why black men marry you white girls? And I was like no <laughs> and she's like because you guys are docile huh. and i was like huh i don't know what to think of that i mean it's it's kind of like we were saying with the conservatism we do we just we play nice
0: yeah yeah and I mean, you know unfortunately the time for nice play is uh
3: it's over um
0: it's i mean it's a train it's a shame you know people gave it a good long shot uh but uh it's pretty clear that uh it's the squeaky wheel getting the grease these days. And uh, anyway, listen Lori, I'm, no, I'm I love sorry. the topic.
3: I, <laughs> I got a bunch
0: of bunch of other callers. I really really appreciate the call. Uh if you want to have your pastor call in, I would certainly love to chat about this oh, topic with him.
3: I send him your video. I send him your videos all the time, but I don't know if he would ever
0: call. Yeah, it's, you know, if if he wants to uh you know, I'm telling you he can he can preach to uh, you know, half a million people nice and easy. Uh, that's gotta be worth something for him, right? So, but appreciate your call. You're yeah. welcome back anytime. And, uh, thanks All right, a lot.
3: Thanks so much. Take All right. Care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Up next, we have Matt. Matt wrote in and said, I'm an ex-Muslim Middle Eastern immigrant, and I've noticed a lot of parallels in the rise of tyranny back home and the rise of tyranny in the West. Obviously, as I chose to be in the West now, this concerns me, but not for my own sake. After attempting to relate these thoughts with others, whether those back home or my new neighbors, people are often skeptical of my observations. Despite watching things regress in the last few years to an obvious, most painful degree, I feel like my observations are only getting more validated despite not earning legitimacy in the public sphere. A big aspect of this is having both the left and right perceive me as the other, the far right viewing me no different than those they seek to destroy the West, and the far left viewing me is no different than those who seek to discriminate against Muslims. How do I reconcile this and earn my place in this shaky society? Is there no more room for nuance? Bonus, over time I think I've come to realize the importance of balancing tradition, but maintaining an open mind, I think both forms of societies have pros and cons. How can we redirect the conversation from eliminating the other side into synthesizing? The biggest catastrophe that has hit the West since World War II, in my estimation, is the death of, an ongoing war on, the family, and it genuinely saddens me. On the other hand, things are far too rigid back home, and the concept of family can be almost suffocating. That's from Matt.
0: Hey, Matt, how you doing?
5: Hey, Stefan, good, how are you?
1: I'm well, I'm well,
0: I'm well. So ex-Muslim, uh, that, as far as I, and I'm no expert, but as far as I understand it, that's not the easiest belief system it's, to leave uh, in the rear view.
5: No, it's definitely not.
0: Right. I mean, for those who don't know that there are, it is not, of course, what every Muslim believes, but there is uh, for the punishment, uh, the punishment for apostasy for leaving uh, the Muslim faith is death. So...
5: I mean, I mean, that's the that's the worst case scenario, but you also... Uh, I know of a lot of people who might get even disowned by their family, um, disowned by their friends. People might be actively out to get you, whether that means losing your job, whether that means beating you up. It kind of depends on the situation. But for, for most ex-Muslims, it's definitely not a nice place to be in.
0: No, and I, I mean, a huge amount of sympathy and, and respect for that. I mean, it's something that's hard. For, I mean, I was a Christian, raised a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian. And as you know from the last call and from, and certainly since I've recognized that I was not being as nice to Christians as they well deserved, uh, it's not been a particular problem. And of course, when I would criticize Christianity, uh, I never thought, oh, oh no, you know, (laughs) like I'm really taking my life uh, in my hands here. So I just wanted to point out for, um, for ex Muslims, I mean, massive respect, massive sympathy. It is a huge challenge. And as you point out, I mean, you can experience significant ostracism. Uh, because uh, there there are belief systems that say that leaving the faith is a huge, huge challenge for, for just about everyone.
5: Yep. Um, I think for like ex-Muslims in particular, it's because um, in the Western society for a lot of Christians, a lot of people might be culturally Christian. And uh, w- whether you necessarily agree with the practices and the principles and the philosophies behind it or not, like at the level of culture that exists in the public sphere – it's not really anyone's business whether you believe or not. Like Obviously, there are some churches that might be campaigning, for example, uh, pro-life or whatever the case might be. But when it comes to like, Islam, like a lot of people who may be like culturally Muslim would not say that they are culturally Muslim, and thus they they, they, they reinforce all, all the bad aspects of Islam that they're ignorant to. I mean, I, I, I have a maybe not so popular uh, saying that I say a lot of times, which is I say that, like 1.6 billion Muslims, and I bet that more of these people are like the biggest um, victims of Islam than than any other spot on earth. And it's just because I, I believe that from, from my personal experiences and from the stuff that I've studied, the stuff I've reviewed, it just seems to be like, it's just increasingly obvious that more and more Muslims that are so-called moderates are just illiterate when it comes to their own background. And and what do you mean? I painful. just want to make
0: sure I understand. I think I have an idea of what you're talking about, Matt, but if you could explain <clears> it a <throat> bit more, I'd, I'd appreciate it.
5: Okay, let me give you an example. So yeah. I had a discussion with, with my friends the other, the other summer when we were talking about uh, there was this uh, lady in Kuwait. Uh, she's saying, like, we should go back to our roots. Men should have four wives. We should have six slaves if we need it. And, she, a, a, and her claim is justified by her religion. But you you get people like my friends who might be Muslims, and they're like, oh, this lady is bananas. Like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Like, all of this stuff is, like, lies and fabrications. And I'm like, no, if you actually review the history, whether it be the Quran or the Hadith, or uh, just any 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 factual textbook you can pick up on what happened from between this year and this year in these locations, you can see that Muhammad, for example, did have sex slaves. He did have uh, more than four wives, even. But to the average Muslim, this sounds like you're. It sounds like you're creating up this lie to uh, uh, to you, you're making up this lie to kind of like straw man their religion, and 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 very few of them are actually willing to like re, 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 recheck their sources and come back and tell you, okay, so this is what happened, what do we do about it now? Because they'd rather be in denial because the way it's set up, it's such a totalitarian system that if, if you have a few things that go out of place, the whole system comes crashing down. So everyone is living in this constant state of hypercognitive dissonance where they're trying to to identify these holes before they come up and trying to like preemptively board them, if you know what I mean.
0: Right. No, I I, I understand and I, I certainly appreciate the, the points and the arguments that you're making and to your point about sort of these loss of of freedoms and so on and you may know a lot more about this than I do and probably do but my sort of understanding from conversations I've had with people is that looking at Iran which in many ways of course was much more free in the sort of post-second world war period or this is true even of places like Afghanistan and so on and you can see the the um there was, I think, a prime minister of Egypt in the fifties. You know, laughing about the very idea that there would be. I can be... give you
5: a very great example from my own personal history. Yeah, I'm Lebanese. I'm Lebanese by birth, and if you look at the history of Lebanon, it's it's it, it's of the same trend that's happening to Egypt. I mean, I mean, now the Christ, uh, the Christians, the Coptics, they're a minority in Egypt, and it's not being a minority just a number. Like there's like there are literal discriminatory uh, laws in effect, societal customs that make it really difficult for you to to maintain your uh, Coptic faith in Egypt, and I think the similar thing is happening to Lebanon now, okay. where like the, the the Christian Maronites, it's becoming an ever increase, uh, ever decreasing uh, number of uh, Maronites in Lebanon. A lot of them are choosing to immigrate elsewhere. A lot of them have immigrated a long time ago. I think the statistics say that there's more Lebanese people outside of Lebanon than in hmm. And like this kind of stuff, like when I think about it, it just seems to me that like this wheel has got to stop sometime. Yeah. And it just seems like everyone is just panicking and not showing and, and not sure like what kind of what what kind of what kind of action do we need to do because everyone's trying to protect themselves so you have the Muslims who may be ignorant of their own religion and their own history, but as far as they're concerned, they haven't really done anything wrong to anyone else so why should anyone uh why should anyone interfere in what they're doing and at the same time you have people who haven't heard anyone else and they're also being affected by the system that people aren't uh aware or tuned to so it's, it, it, it's it's kind of weird because you're fighting this battle on different fronts and some of them overlap some of them contradict you're not quite sure which one is the right way to be like what, what what is the right way to proceed and i think there's no right answer to this and
0: well i mean for me it's always reason and evidence and philosophy that's sort of my my thing one of the things that i've heard in particular with regards to the the revolution in iran was that the the hardcore leftists would basically work sort of hand in glove with the fundamentalist Muslims to overthrow the sort of secularism and the remaining free market freedoms and and freedoms of religions that existed in the country. And I've heard this from a number of different sources. I'm not certain how much of it is true or I don't. So please understand this is something I say very tentatively. But it does sort of help explain why the leftists who seem very sensitive to you know anti-gay stuff or or you know stuff that oppresses women and so on don't seem to have as much to say about fundamentalist Islam as they do about you know some Christian who won't bake a cake uh, that there does seem to be something that works together between the extreme left and the fundamentalists uh, uh, with the Muslims that they seem to have some some sort of synchronicity some sort of similar goals and again that's just stuff i've heard tentatively i just wanted to know what you what you think of that
5: it's uh i've heard a lot of that stuff there's a lot of conflicting rationales behind it i've talked to people who for example like they're the ones who would say like i'm a huge feminist like like i won't trust until like every woman is free in the world and at the same time they're like oh like these women in burqas like definitely that's okay um. and and I haven't really heard anything convincing. There are a few reasonable, um, reasonable comments that have made me think about it a bit, but 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 it but it's not it's it doesn't justify this kind of weird unholy alliance we have going on between the aggressives and the Islamists, who both don't have the West's best interest at uh, heart.
0: Well, or so, you could say certainly have a slightly different view for the West and its future yeah. than than a lot of people in the West have.
5: Sure, certainly, and. Um, it's, it's 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 weird to me because a lot of these so-called feminists, for example, mentioning all the stuff you talked about, like, if, if I ask them and I'm like, okay, like, how, how come do you have these conflicting views at the same time? And, and, and they would say something along the lines, well, of, like, if, if a woman chooses her religion, in this case, be it Islam, and, and she chooses to cover her head, like, I'm fine with that. And I'm like, okay, I understand you're fine with that, but like that, but... The same way you, you you talk about you want to dismantle the patriarchy, or well, even in the Middle East, the, like the dominant patriarchy is Islam in a way so how I, I don't, don't know if the women
0: I don't know if the women are choosing to wear burqas in the Middle East because they're severely punished in many places if they don't.
5: Oh, by the way, for your records, the burqa is actually not an Islamic thing to begin with like if okay, I'll give you an example for example, in Kuwait after, the, uh, after uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait in the '90s. It's only after that period where burqas became more and more common in Kuwait. Right. Like, if, if, if you go back to the to, to the religious text, and, and mind you, while I'm explaining this, I'm also trying to talk at the level of the person I'm talking to. So, for example, when I'm talking to this uh, so-called feminist, and I'm saying, like, for example, like, when it comes to these women wearing burqas, like, I'm trying to address it from their perception. Because even under their perception, which is incorrect, if it was correct, there's still some logical inconsistencies there, do you know what I mean? Right, right. So, so, and at the same time, like I, I can take that same, same angle and talk uh, with Islamists, and e- even though I might disagree with what it is, but under your assumptions, which you think are true, there's still some like uh, illogical consistencies there. And I think if you believe what you actually say you you believe, then you need to be aware of all these inconsistencies happening within your own kind of sp- sphere of uh, sphere of awareness or belief, or what, whatever people might choose to categorize uh, their beliefs and actions um so, so so it's a bit weird because if you read the text like if, if for example let's not go with the burqa let's go with the hijab so the whole idea is that you're covering your hair uh, you're covering basically the majority of your body you're not wearing anything tight you're not showing uh, you're not you you are showing your face and your hands and your feet and that's about it so so w- women can be free to choose that hey that's something i want to do for myself but this is what happens you get a husband who says like like We both believe in the same God. Our God says that to be a better Muslim woman, you need to cover your hair. you got to do it or otherwise I'll take away whatever privileges I can take away. I'll make your life as hard as it could be. I'll make it as easy as you want it to be. Just go along with me. So you see this, for example, like a lot of uh, in school, I see like a lot of women. Sometimes you go over the summer, you come back and suddenly they have their hair covered. A tiny minority of them wanted to do it by choice. Most of them felt huge, immense social pressure. Whether it be by their family or by their peers or by their uh, religious scholars, that this is something that they should do. This is something they should aim to do. It's not something they should be repelled by or disgusted by. It's not something you should put off. So, so it's so it's kind of weird because, for example, my mom, she chose herself to do that in the later years of her life. But at the same time, I've had uh, I've had women in my classes who had to do it just because their dad wanted them to do it. So I'm not I'm not quite sure where where to. Um, where to address these kinds of comments as they come up just because there's such a huge range of answers
0: of course yeah and i mean the one thing Mm. that um, is challenging for me because as you say there are the cultural beliefs uh, within islam there are uh, moral beliefs within islam which are open debatable i'm sure but the challenge is of course that in certain ways of viewing Islam, and I don't think it's particularly rare, Islam is not just a religious system, it is a political system. It
5: is absolutely not. Yeah, it is a political system,
0: and I think treating it as a religion alone is not taking into account the full scope of the belief system as a whole. And the belief system as a whole is a regulation of life using the power of the state. It is a legal system, is a political system, and mistaking it for a mere religion alone, I think, uh, certainly doesn't do justice to the scope of thought within Islam. And I think then if we think, well, it's freedom of religion, but if it's a political system, that becomes a different matter when it comes to discussing a multicultural or pluralistic society.
5: That's a that's a very astute observation uh, because in, in in my in my years of study and in my years of trying to search for any kind of uh, thread that would make sense for me to hold on to and keep going with, Islam is definitely not a spiritual religion. It's I think when you compare all the religion and maybe even the mythologies and the polytheistic uh, uh, traditions of of different people and different times and different places on the earth, I think Islam is the most unique in the sense that it's a political economical, social, spiritual, totalitarian system that is not built on anything other than sheer dominance of the individuals in it and the individuals outside of it.
0: Yes. And so, uh, you know, that is one of the great challenges, is that if you come up with a political system, but people think it's merely a religious system, then they will say, well, freedom of religion is what applies here. But if it's a political system that would replace an existing political system, as it has done in countries that has taken over, that becomes a different matter than merely looking at it as a set of beliefs that are bound together by, you know, faith in a particular religious context. So this, I think, is something that is under discussed uh, as a whole um in yep. in the media in in general popular understandings of of some of the challenges and i think it's a real shame because it is really the one thing that differentiates islam from a lot of other belief systems
5: yep and the, the thing that's really nefarious about islam and keep in mind to anyone hearing this like i'm not i'm not like i come from a muslim background my family is muslim all my friends are muslim not like i i don't hate muslims but i do have a particular this state this for Islam because of a few things that it does very nefariously that people are not aware of. So when I, when I, when I was talking earlier about the, the example of the moderates who are not actually aware of what their religion is. Now there's another level to this, which is that for example, when you take, when you take a group like ISIS, they've, they've, they've established their goals very clearly, they said what they're gonna do, they said why they wanna do it, and they said how they're gonna do it. Maybe we don't know a whole lot about it, but we do know a lot about ISIS already, if you just examine the literature that they provide. But but there's also, those are the more active elements of, of Islam, whether you want to call it Islamic invasion, Islamic growth, Islamic outreach, whatever it might be, that, that those are the active elements. Now, there are passive elements. For example, in the religion itself, you are encouraged to have kids, you are encouraged to be married, you are encouraged to go out and travel, you're encouraged to spread your religion, you're encouraged, if you have to, to even lie, to, 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 to put your religion in a, in a good image. So all these kind of things people may not be aware of, but, but they're contributing to a lot of things that are just by design, like it's ju- just by virtue of all the kind of things you know about your religion. and It, the kind it of... doesn't
0: spread by accident, right?
5: Exactly. Right. Uh, and like, and like you, you can go over to your neighbor and like have a sword to them that can say, hey, you either convert or you die. Or what you can do is, is you can slowly over time like you just like there are no more neighbors. I mean, like if you look to the West… Like you get like th- th- there's not even enough uh, reproduction there to replace you. So w- where are all these people coming? They're coming from all these countries now. Which countries have a huge boom in in reproduction? It's mostly the Islamic countries. So like for, as far as they're concerned, like some people are thinking, oh, we might we we might need to be a bit like ISIS. We need to be going out and do and doing this expansion by force. And then there's people who are just playing passively. They think, hey, we're gonna outbreed everyone on earth, and everyone on earth is gonna be Islam, and then we're gonna have our like. Islamist peace uh, ushering, utopia happening, and everyone's going to be happy and everything's going to be fine and that Yeah,
0: as it, and also I just wanted to, sorry about to interrupt, and I just wanted to remind no people about, of course, you know, we we don't want to talk about Islam as one sort of big blob, right? I mean, the Sunni, oh, the course, Shiite, yes. there's like, it, it, there yes. is a lot of different uh, belief systems within the general Umbrella, and it's not like they're all getting along perfectly well either. So it is a challenge. It's not like peace will arrive. I think when every, even if everyone did become Muslim.
5: Yep, I mean, actually, it's 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 a it's a bit of an odd thing because even even the Islamic Empire at its height, it had issues within the differing parties of of the things they were governing, whether that be Muslims and non-Muslims, or whether it be different non-Muslims wanting different rights or whether it be different Muslims who had different versions of the Quran at the same time or they had like a different translation or whatever it might be. There's always conflict between these people. And at its, at its root, like for example, the, the most common belief that all Muslims would have is that there's only one God and, there, and Muhammad is his messenger and he's the latest messenger and he's the last messenger and he's the one to conclude all the messages before him which include Abraham from Jews to Jesus and Christians all the way up to Muhammad being the final one.
0: Yeah, I mean the the, the Jews and the Christians are people of the book, uh, but they're yep. just not at the final stage of enlightenment, right?
5: Yeah, it's 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 kind of like a movie, like we got the prequel and then we got the <laughs> and then we got the sequel and then we're getting the trilogy tied up all together. So a lot of Muslims choose to view it that way. Then you have for example the sunnis and the shias, the sunnis it's more like the the the, the people who who Follow the hadiths more closely, um, and whereas the Shi'as, for example, think that after Muhammad died there was like a lot of injustice and in how the caliphate uh, leadership was handled and stuff like that, so they're more de- dedicated to like Muhammad and and his and his lineage rather than the the, the entire caliphate. If that makes sense, right? Um, right. I, I'm just trying to keep everything very. Um, As as least confusing as possible, because I don't want to confuse you or anyone listening, or or even me for that matter, because I don't want to (laughs) ramble on this too much and I drive against. it. I appreciate
0: that. And the other thing too, I think it's hard. You know, certainly, you know, white people in the West or Christians in the West, there is. There's been a lot of aggression against in-group preferences for whites, you know, like uh, if if like the idea of, oh, there's going to be some white group that's going to advocate for whites. Well, that's automatically white supremacism or racism and all this, you know, crazy stuff that goes on. But I think people don't quite understand also that within – and again, I'm just using the big blog term here. I apologize for the lack of distinction. But within Islam, of course, there is a very strong in-group preference, to put it mildly, to the point where – Uh, As you talked about the lying uh, earlier, you know, that there's no real justification in in Christianity for lying to a non-Christian. But to to further the spread uh, of Islam, there is a wide variety of deceptions and lies and falsehoods that are not only permitted, but encouraged. And you may, in fact, be rewarded for. And I think that's one of the challenges that maybe ex-Muslims or non-Muslims have is this idea. It's like, well, I don't know. Because I don't know what the person is saying, how truthful it is, how honest it is. Particularly if I'm not a Muslim, because there is this permission to to lie to further the cause of Islam, and that I think does not engender a lot of trust in some interactions.
5: Yep. Okay. So, so the way I look at that is is, is this way. For example, when you open a Quran and you read it for yourself and you look at the interpretations, you you, you can interpret that any way you choose to. You, like it, 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 a text can't lie to you; it says what it says. How, how you interpret that is up to you. But, but the problem becomes when uh, th- this is something Islam does that makes, makes me think of it very less than a lot of other religions. For example, if you wanted to convert to Islam, the barrier of entry is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is you need to go up. They're going to tell you, say the Shahada, which is literally just you re-emphasizing that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. If you say that, you're a Muslim. Done deal. If, if, you ch- if you change your mind, like too bad, you can't. Like, you either die and you change your mind or, 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 or figure it out some other way. There's, there's no in-between there.
0: You're right.
5: And, and so, so it makes it really difficult because you have the lowest barrier of entry and you have no contingency plan. You have no exit strategy. And when you compare it to, for example, like uh, Judaism, if I wanted to be a Jew today and I went and I talked to a rabbi, he would, be, he would extensively drill me for the kind of uh, knowledge I have about Judaism, the kinds of things I expect to get out, get out of it. Why would I choose to convert? And then if if I want to leave, like, can you just stop practicing? Yeah, sure, no problem. The state of Israel isn't gonna detain you prisoner for three year, uh, for three days, and if you don't choose, and if you don't uh, take back your uh, apostasy, then, then you will be trialed and executed. I mean, it's, and that's part of the way that it passively works too, I mean, because if you invade your neighbor, and, and you kill the dad, and now all the kids convert, and then you brainwash them, and then they grow up, and they have kids of their own, then their son is going to be arguing and telling you online that Islam is a religion of peace and that he would kill you for for saying all the bad things you said. I mean, it's just it's just lunacy sometimes. Right. And sorry, go ahead. Like, it's for for example, like in a, a lot of uh, Pakistanis, like I feel like if they were more familiar with the knowledge of what uh, India and Muslims, what happened when those two cultural forces met, what kind of trade happened, what kind of bloodshed happened. I think a lot of Pakistani Muslims are ignorant of their own uh, kind of oppression that happened to their ancestors before them and they're not quite sure why they're wrapped up into this religion anymore.
0: Right. You you talked, Matt, in your question or or your commentary, and, and really I wanted to learn more about this. Sure. You said uh, a big aspect of this is having both the left and the right perceiving me as the other. The far right viewing me is no different from those who seek to destroy the West and the far left viewing me no different than those who seek to discriminate against Muslims. Um, so the other, I mean, it's a bit of a postmodern term. I understand sort of alien and foreign to, to your way of thinking. I wonder if you could sure. help sort of help me understand how you view these, these sort of the far left, far right and, and your position relative to their belief systems.
5: Okay, I, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a brief rundown of what led to that uh, precise statement. So, so when I was growing up and when I started to realize that, hey, like if this is a religion that I have, then I should actually know what what it is that I'm I'm applying, right? And I started reading and reading about it, and I wasn't a huge fan. So I was thinking, okay, worldwide, because for example, in Lebanon, um, it's it's a fairly open place. It's fairly westernized. There's like a good mix of Muslims, non-Muslims, Christians, whatever it might be. But, for example, the trend going in the future is not something that pleases me. So I was thinking, what what, what is a good place uh, to go to where I can be free with my spirituality and not, and not worry about keeping my head on my shoulders? <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of, of, of uh, the Western values. I'm a huge fan of uh, classical liberalism. I'm a huge fan of freedom of expression freedom of speech, all that all, all that great stuff. So when I came to Canada five years ago and I started studying, it was all under this assumption that I'm in this like place that values liberalism. Everyone is free to explain their mind, their thoughts, their expressions, and then we would take it from there and have a discussion. Whereas like, in my background, you're not so free in the things you could discuss because if it's declared heresy, then like I said, uh, best case scenario, you might get disowned by your social peers. Worst case scenario, you might not go back home with your head. Right. And so, so, so and then like over the last five years, I saw this increasing creep of like totalitarianism happening in the West, whereas like in different aspects, of course, and it's, it's, it's just happening in a way where I get I'm, get I'm starting to get those same feelings again, which is I'm feeling like I can't speak my mind, that people are going to uh, try and like socially uh, discourage you from doing so. If, if the thing you're going to be saying maybe is politically incorrect in some way or another. And so, so once you start talking about this kind of stuff, for example, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Milo Annapolis.
4: Yes. Uh,
5: and so for example, on, uh, I follow his, his, his uh, Facebook page. I'm not a huge fan of Milo. I think he has some good arguments and I think he has some nonsensical ones, but th- that's, that's pretty much the case for everyone. I don't know anyone who's perfect.
0: <laughs> hey, um, If you can come up with some good arguments yeah. in this life, it's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good.
5: Yeah. So, so, so sometimes like when we see the comments and, and, and it's just weird. Because people would just see my name, obviously, like on this show, I emailed you at Matt, but that's not my birth name. Um, So, 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 so people would like see my name and then instantly they'd be like, oh, you're just a goat fucker. Like you should all be killed and stuff. And I'm like, okay, but that, I'm like, okay, even if I was a far, uh, a very extremist Islamist, I I don't think that kind of conversation is really achieving anything. But 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 I'm not. Oh, unfortunately,
0: as you know, Matt, it's achieving quite a lot, just not productive yeah. things, right?
5: Yeah. I mean, it is it's,
0: achieving it's, opposition. It's achieving escalation and all that, right?
5: I mean, it just depends on, on on what is what what is the goal you're trying to serve here. And I think for the majority of reasonable people, all they want is they want to live a relatively free life. They want to to, to be as free as reasonably possible. Uh, they, they, they don't want to be deprived of things they need, like shelter, food. Uh, they want to spend time with their loved ones. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that most people on Earth are in agreement over what they actually want out of their life. Like no, no one says, "Oh, hey, I'd love it if we had a genocide." I mean, I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm sure there's a sociopath that thinks that, but I'm talking about the reasonable average person. Right. Um, so, so for example, when I start talking about these issues, if I go into a into a very right leaning kind of uh, atmosphere. That, that, then I'm 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 not much better than than your typical Islamist extremist. Like I'm the, I'm I'm just the other. And if I go to the leftist and I start talking about like, for example, hey, I'm an ex-Muslim, in in the Middle East, for example, we might just be the largest, most endangered uh, minority, and no one gives a fuck. Oh, right. sorry about. No, sorry no about the, this, th- by the way. trust me, that's yeah. no
1: problem at all. No problem <laughs> at all. So
5: so, so 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 it's like like for for example for me like if I never kept, came. Uh, for school in Canada, I don't know if I would have ended for, uh, ended up dead first, or if I would have killed myself first. I don't know.
0: But, I'm sorry. Say that oh, last sentence again. I got the end. I just missed the the, the beginning. Cut off for a sec.
5: I, I'm saying, for example, in my personal background, like if it wasn't for me coming to study in Canada, oh, right. and then pursue and then pursue immigration over there, I might have either ended up killing myself first, or having someone like kill me. And so when you start talking about these issues, for example, like how come I think Christians from the Middle East should get priority when they immigrate? Uh, to the western nations but if you say that then then you're just a nazi you know how it is these days and it's like how come like all, all all the people closest to me all the people i love most in my life are muslims right and i don't have i don't i don't have an irrational hate of muslims i have a very rational fear of islam that's different well and,
0: and this this is something really really important to understand and, and people conflate this all the time And it's massively unfair. Of course, there are good, nice, kind, wonderful, thoughtful, generous, charitable Muslims. Of course. The question is the ideology, not the individual. Saying I criticize a belief system is not saying that I think everyone, even tangentially associated with that belief system, must be whatever. We're talking about the ideas themselves not the individuals uh who have any association with those ideas and this substitution of an individual for a set of ideas to me uh is i think it's almost deliberately trying to muck up the issue and have everyone start to take things personally when we really are talking about a set of ideas
5: and i think some people are abusing that for their own nefarious purposes but i also some people are legitimately that naive and think that way because When I tell this to some people, they might say, well, you might have no disregard, Uh, you might have no ill uh, intentions with Muslims, but uh, Joey, uh, whose Facebook uh, cover photo is of a fish and a confederate flag, when he's criticizing Islam, what he really means is kill all the Muslims. And then you get stuck in this endless debate of semantics between left and right. And meanwhile, either either side doesn't really truly... um, It's...
0: They're both not
5: amazing platforms to have this conversation because they both, I feel like, get in the way of of, of the actual conversation that we need to have.
0: Oh, and it's um, it's really frustrating for me as a whole because the idea that there are certain truths we cannot speak because some bad people might use them to some ill end is just another form of censorship. You know, and I I get this from... People sometimes, you know, when I talk about race and IQ and stuff, well, really evil people might use this information. It's like, this is true of everything. This is true of just about everything you could say. Some bad person could use it for some ill intent. It's like, well, you, you, you can't have a stove because somebody might use it to torture children. You can't have a fry pan because someone might use it to hit a dog. You, of course, anything, anything you come up with can be co-opted by nasty people for their own benefit. But saying the truth that you're speaking, which is important and valuable and contributes to the human discussion of how to have a better planet. Well, I could conceive of a situation wherein a bad person might take this piece of information and use it for some nefarious purpose. Therefore, you better shut up is just another kind of stupid anti-free speech censorship. Now, debate the ideas, saying there could be some negative consequence from someone for even the discussion of these ideas is just an elegant way of of censoring people. And I I think it's really uh, horrible because what it means is that it's not like if, like if I don't talk about race and IQ, it's not like really horrible racists are never going to raise any of these issues. It just means they're the only ones talking about it. You know, we want to yep. have reasonable people talking about these issues because it's not like the crazy people or the evil people are going to shut up about it. So let's bring reasonable people into the into the discussion so we can get saner voices talking about important issues. So I just I find this really, uh, you know, OK, I, I just I need someone to present me with a list of facts I'm not allowed to talk about because bad people might do them, might do bad things with them and if yep. if you're not going to allow honest discussion between reasonable well informed people about important issues, it just means that there's you're going to leave the whole debate for the crazies and that just means endless escalation so that's why I wanted to talk with you today about these issues because the idea that if we don't have this conversation, no one's ever going to talk about this stuff i mean it's it's a fantasy
5: it's 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 really shocking to me because it see it seems to go against everything that a reasonable person would be thinking in their head, but then groupthink happens, and all logic flies out the window. I mean, like just because I don't tell you that the stove is hot doesn't mean that you're not going to burn your ha- burn your hand anymore. Like that reality still exists. You're just not aware of it. Right. And you chose and you chose to by your own doing. You chose to be ignorant about the reality of that. Now, now I'm sure that when you if you give everyone the right to speak, a lot of people are going to say a lot of stupid shit. But that doesn't mean that no one gets the right to speak, because all you need is one moment of brilliance to make up for all that stupidity that led up to it. And well, and
0: and I'm not entirely sure that everything I hear that sounds stupid actually is stupid, because I'm not that smart to know what every like. I remember, like, I can't even tell you, Matt, the number of ideas I've heard in my life where I'm like, "Oh, come on, that's ridiculous! What a ridiculous thing!" And it turns out, like actually, you know, that is kind of true. You know, now I look into yeah, the information, yeah. I look into the data and I mean, I could, I won't bore you with the whole list, but just off the top of my head, I can think of like 20 things just probably over the last couple of years where I'm like, somebody sends me something or I come across something and I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous. And it can be something as simple as like some comment somewhere on someone's YouTube channel. There's a little comment down there where somebody says, and I'm like, ah, come on. And then I see it again. And I'm like, Now, come on. And then I look it up. So the thing is, I have no idea what's, what's really brilliant, what's insane, what's, you know, what's true, what's right, what's smart, what's stupid. That's, that's why you need free speech because nobody knows what the, the very best and the very worst things are. You know, when the people first said, Hey, let's end slavery. That was considered to be astonishingly insane and deeply immoral by the people. What would happen to
5: the economy? Yeah, was, who's going to pick? We're all going to starve concern. because
0: nobody is going to be able yeah. to pick the crops. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I could sit there and say, well, there's some things I really, really hate. And it's like, yes, but if I'm going to put those candles out, everything goes out. Because once you start that process, that is a slippery slope argument that really, really does matter. And it does work. That once you start saying, well, you can't discuss this and you can't talk about that – it is really a slippery slope because I can't figure out for the life of me where you stop then.
5: Well, you don't stop. You you just, you just try and get people to think that you are the, the most uh, reasonable authority to be able to dictate what people should be able to think. In <laughs> <Right>. and, <speak. laughs> right. and, and I think these days there's this like really weird, uh, this really weird echo chamber happening, mostly in the left where it's like the poison is the cure. Whatever hurts us, if we double down, it's going to work amazingly. And right. it's, and, like, o- over time, you can you can see how just how toxic that stuff is becoming, but people are still convinced that, like, the poison is the cure and we need to double down on this. I mean, like, for example, welfare. Like, I think welfare did more damage than good, and, and the intentions were certainly good, but over time, once you realize it didn't work out how you wanted it to work out, the solution is not to double down. The solution is to pull out and reconsider.
0: Right. Yeah, well, I mean, as you know... Uh... Um, checking into government programs is pretty easy. Checking out <laughs> is a whole other situation, yeah. and we, we can't even have those conversations these days. You know, like as an ex-Muslim, I mean, I as as somebody who's an ex-statist, I mean, I think I really sort of understand some of the challenges here. I mean, I've been attacked and and disowned, and and you know, people have hate ons for me that, that defy any rational analysis because I have broken from a dominant ideology within the West, which is that the government needs to solve every problem. And every time anybody makes a mistake, the government needs to tax more responsible people and subsidize all the stupid stuff that they do. And so it is a real challenge when you break from particular belief systems that are considered universal moral and accepted like physics, but with the added spice of, of ethics, it is a real challenge to uh, to reason with people because they, they slide into this language. Like you say, welfare, okay, well, yeah, let's question the value and the virtue of welfare. It's like, no, that just means you hate the poor. That just means you want poor people to die and rich capitalists to keep all their money. And it's like you can't have a yeah. debate because everybody has their magical languages, uh, the magical words that drive away thought and analysis and, and evidence.
5: I, I, I think an element of it is is within the last maybe let's say – Whenever the internet became mainstream, whatever that might be, whether it be email or Google, however you define that thing, just keep it in mind. Whenever the internet became mainstream, I think people had such an ease of access into information, and we have this this need for like short-term gratification. And for example, o- over my life, I've I've had many observations where year after year, I just keep thinking that how stupid was I one year ago. <laughs> and for, I, I, <laughs> and, and, and for me, that's a sign that as, as a person, I am thinking and growing and developing over the years. But you have all these people who are 20 years old and they just started taking their uh, uh, queer dance theory classes and they think <laughs> that like within the first course of their first uh, uh, class in university that they're going to find the answer and this answer is going to be the answer from now until the moment they die and there's no possible reconsideration there whatsoever. I mean, I just find it like I think any intellectually honest person... Will review what he believes time after time again and the problem is is when people refuse to do that and, and then what they what they claim what they claim is that like I've made this analysis once and this was my conclusion so from there so from now until the uh, until the end of times this will forever be my conclusion I mean it, life doesn't work that way because all those factors that you put into your analysis they're going to change over time and your conclusion is going to change over time just like any any algebraic behavior basic equation. If you change some values around the whole thing is going to
0: change. Yeah, philosophy is a process. Conclusions almost are its enemy. Uh, and um, and the thing is too, Matt, it's not, even if people had certainty for stuff that was not rational, that's bad enough. But what, what I see growing, and I see this more in the left as well, um, tell me what you think, but what I see growing even more is not only do I have certainty, but people who disagree with me are irredeemably evil and i should punch them that to that's, me it's it's one thing to be certain within your own skin and say well i'm just going to march around and be certain and i'm never going to that kind of bigotry and 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 lack of of um reflection that's one thing but when it's not just that you're certain but everyone who questions or opposes or or has any doubts about what you say that you have the right to use violence against people and call them Nazis or white supremacists or apostates or what, if you have the capacity to use violence against people who question what you believe, that to me is, is really the most toxic element that's going on intellectually at the moment.
5: And, And you know, Stefan, I would understand that if that was, if that was a single, uh, if it was a single simple topic, for example, like if if someone tells me like hey like I just randomly beat, beat up people on the street I'd be like wow you're kind of an asshole. <laughs> but 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 it, but but if, and, but and if I think I you'd know, be
0: you'd be pretty certain of that until you die. So and I think I would be too. But sorry, yeah. go on. But
5: but 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 the problem here is that, is that the, the the issues we're facing in the modern era I think that we're truly at the turning of ages and I think that the the way the complexities of our life is working it's becomingly it's becoming inherently more and more complex. And all these complexities sort of feed into each other and overlap and they create more complexities that also do the same. So someone tries to break down the entire, the most complex uh, uh, list of rationale and arguments they could think of, they try and break that down into like batch the fashion. Like I think that just, like you can't possibly go from like analyzing something so complex and, and, and all you have is this very simple answer that you're very sure of that's gonna work all the time everywhere with everyone. And it's, yeah, it's,
0: if you're chanting, you're wrong. You know, if if it can fit into a, a handy chant, you know, like what is it they they say the 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 people on the left uh, no no fascist, no KKK USA. I don't know what the stupid chant is, but yeah, No uh, fascist, no no KKK,
5: something something No racist USA,
0: USA or something yeah, like Yeah. If you can chant, you're just wrong. You know, if if you if your book of philosophy can fit on the back of a bumper sticker, you are not doing it. Right. I mean, it is it is complex. And this is the most amazing thing too. Like when you think of you and I would never have met or had this conversation, almost certainly, right? I mean, we have this incredible technology for having conversations, for evaluating ideas and for trying to understand different perspectives and trying to find ways to merge them together under some rational empirical umbrella, this incredible technology that we have. And This rising opposition to free speech is occurring at the same time that we have the most capacity to reason with each other that the world has ever seen in the the history of the planet. This will never be replicated again. And it is to me – it's kind of almost inevitable. It's like when the water recedes, you see all the rocks, right? And it's like as our lack of – like this is the the internet is like the opposite of the, the the tower of babel right i mean the the tower of babel is a story where people tried to build a, a tower to reach god and god broke the tower and broke everyone into different languages so they couldn't work together and so on we are able yep. to unite through the internet in in ways inconceivable even like 30 40 years ago and at the same time as we have this capacity to connect and to reason together and to try and understand different perspectives there's this all this hysteria. And there is, of course, the hard free speech limitations. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on in Europe and in Germany in particular is brutal, as far as free speech yeah. goes. But there's also the softer free speech, which occurs, which is, well, if I say this, and people find out who I am, you know, I, I, I'm going to lose my job, and I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be in big trouble, people are going to be out to get me and, and so on. That kind of soft censorship is occurring as well. And it seems to me, we're kind of in a race, we're in a race. Where reasonable people are trying to connect with each other and understand the world. And then there are people who are trying to shut down those conversations because they don't like what it's going to reveal about them and what they believe. And that race, to me, it's one of the reasons I work so hard at what I do is I really feel that that race is a race for the very future of the world. And I think that's kind of where you were, if I understand, Matt, when you were talking about your original question.
5: Yep. I mean, you you gave me a lot of great stuff to work with there. So I just want to add a few points. Uh, The soft uh, soft limit of speech you were talking about, I think the biggest aspect of that is people who are self-censoring. I think people need to stop doing that. They should be able to say no. They should be able to freely discuss their thoughts and opinions. Just because if you're shy or if you're introverted or if you're anxious, it doesn't mean that what you're thinking is, 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 is any less valid than what someone who's outspoken might be thinking. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Like, I I just, I keep repeatedly seeing that theme where people are self-censoring themselves. And I think that's even worse than when someone censors you. Because when someone censors you, once you realize that the power dynamics have shifted or that you can shift them, you tell them to fuck off and you start speaking your mind. But when you censor yourself, you just weaken yourself time and time again. And you stop thinking properly even. And I think that's the biggest disaster out of this whole free speech thing is that people are willfully choosing not to do their own thinking anymore because whatever they think they feel they might not be able to speak and it's not because someone is limiting them by law already or the, although in the future certainly that could be the case but but they, they they start kind of justifying how to self-censor themselves and 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 why they think that might be a better way of approaching things now now I understand that sometimes when you have an unpopular opinion it gets really painful to say it but but i i believe that's no excuse for a person to self-censor themselves i th- I think that That's like literally the the antithesis of actually living living out your entire being.
0: Well, and as you Um, point out, there are a lot of people in the Middle East and in other countries who are suffering as the result of fundamentalist Islam, who don't have the freedom to speak or to practice the morals that they want to practice with the voluntarism that I think characterizes real morality. You know, if somebody puts a gun to your head, whatever you choose is neither moral nor immoral because all you're doing is you're obeying. And, yep. you know, as I've talked about with, with my loathing contempt and hatred for all of this imperialism and Obama dropping, you know, these 100,000 bombs largely on Muslims in the Middle East, that is brutal and that is hideous. And for the Muslims who have their beliefs about uh, ethics and virtue and family and, and responsibility and charity and so on, I want those Muslims to be able to practice their virtues free of compulsion. And if we can't have a conversation about the political side of Islam and the degree to which it limits some people's moral choice and therefore, philosophically speaking, at least according to me, it limits their capacity to be moral because they're forced into it and therefore it's not as much of a moral choice. If we can't have these conversations, then the people who don't have a voice in in some countries, um, we are not doing them any favors. In fact, we're kind of condemning them to more of the same, which I think is uh, is terrible.
5: And, and, and that's truly the tragedy of, of this whole mode of thinking is, for example, when, when I talk to some of my Canadian friends and, and they'd say, okay, so Matt, you're a visible minority. Why do you believe that someone should be able to openly uh, be racist to you? And I'm like, okay, this is why. Because when I meet five people and one of them starts to call me all kinds of derogatory terms, in, in my heart, I know that those other four people, can be like that, but they choose not to be like that, which makes them even more valuable to me as whether they might be friends or acquaintances or some form or another stuck in my social network. But when all of them are telling me nice things because legally they have to and they can't say anything (laughs) bad, that's when you start acting out your racism in passive aggressive ways that I'd rather not deal with.
0: You want the enemy to sort of be marked by their own freedoms, right?
5: Yeah, like if 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 you think I'm a lesser being than you, then I I, I believe you should have that freedom to tell me. Not because your views are superior, but because I am entitled to know the truth, and I believe that I should know the truth, right? Like I don't think the government protects me when it tells tells that person they can't say anything. I think in like just the opposite. Like they hurt me when they do that, because now I don't truly really, I don't truly really know who's my ally and who thinks less of me, because everyone is worried about saying the. The politically incorrect thing, so everyone is saying the politically correct thing to say, which is a long way of saying nothing at all, because nothing of value was being exchanged in that.
0: Well, and it's funny, and, too, because, you know, the one thing that is a big challenge in the conversation regarding racism, which is an important conversation to have, but right now it seems too limited and polarized which is really frustrating is that at some point, you know, and I, I really dislike this phrase, persons of color, because it's like, well, all non-whites are this big blob, different from whites. And so, I mean, I think that's terrible, but I, I, I don't want collective judgments and I don't want racial or, or gender collectives and, and quotas and numbers and, and whatever. I don't want these to be encoded in law. We need a separation of state and race. We need a separation of state and religion. We need a separation of state and gender. And. At some point, I hope, I hope that the conversation about racism is going to include anti-white racism, which is a thing. It is a thing. I mean, you don't have to be on the internet for very long. If you're white and you're talking anything to do with racial issues, or maybe even if you're not, I don't know, I've been talking about them so long, I, I don't know.
5: Oh, I, I've i have been called a white supremacist, and I, and I don't look anything like the traditional white supremacist. I don't know what they would look like, but certainly, <laughs> no, but certainly no one ever sees me and assumes I'm a white supremacist, right. but they do it the other way around. They don't know what well, I look Well, you try like, having blue eyes and
0: a square half-German jaw, my friend, and <laughs> you'll find <laughs> out exactly how that goes. But I think, you know, because... This idea that we're all just gonna set, we're gonna get set against each other and, and the idea that, well, you, you can't be racist against whites because Whites are all powerful. We're magical. We, you know, we we can travel through time. We can do anything we want. And therefore, we can't. I mean, I mean look at the whites in South Africa who are currently being uh, – there's horribly racist laws against the whites in South Africa. and the hundreds of thousands of them living in these shanty towns because they've been disallowed from getting jobs because of hiring black quotas and so on. I mean, of course you can have. And, and as you say, look at the white Christians in the Middle East, uh, which are currently being enormously treated unjustly and harshly and so on. Of course, you can be a majority and you can still be – Uh, there can still be people who are racist against you and the more that whites are told a that they're racist by default and b no one else is racist against whites that to me is really fanning fanning some ugly flames there is racism there are collective judgments that are unjust and unfair we need to talk about them but the idea that whites are singled out with this you know mark of cane of racism and no other group is ever racist either towards each other or towards whites that is going to cause a terrible escalation because it is such a fundamentally racist statement. Only whites are racist. It's like, you get how racist that is, you know? Uh, only non-whites. You, 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 if you're non-white, you can't be racist against whites. It's like, you get how you're collectively judging and moralizing and calling people good and evil based on skin color? Do you understand how racist that is? But if we can't have those conversations, I don't have much hope for keeping the peace.
5: It's... It's such an extremely painful thing to to to, to repeatedly hear over uh, the ta- the time span that I've been trying to engage in this conversation, which is when you when you say uh, whites can't be racist because they have the power. Even even if you assume they're correct and you go with this logic, it still leads nowhere. Mm-hmm. And and that and that's something that really kind of troubles me when I'm trying to debate with leftists. Mostly is that because even if I assume everything you told me it's true, it's still so logically inconsistent and infactual. That doesn't that doesn't really help me in in addressing any question I might have that you think you have an answer for.
0: No, it's I mean, it's just a way of telling white people to shut up. <laughs> I wish I could say yeah, it's yeah. more elegant than that, but it's just like white people, you can't have any any uh, experience of racism, you can't ever complain about racism against uh, whites, uh, so shut up uh, and and let us dominate the conversation, and that's bullying, and it's. Manipulative and it's dishonest and it's racist. And, and that I think is, you know, hypocrisy is one of the things that drives moral people the most crazy. You know, I guess it's the tribute that hypocrite, like that evil pays to virtue is to be hypocritical. But, you know, when, you know, when, when whites are a, a called racist and, and that you can't be racist against whites, um, Oh man, that, that, I think, I think, I think whites are getting kind of annoyed at that, at this point. And, you know, if I wasn't white, I'd say, well, yeah, rightly so. And, and of course, if I am white, the fact that I would say it, the, the color of the skin doesn't matter. I would say this. If there was some belief system out there that said that uh, blacks uh, are, are incredibly racist and, and you can never be racist against blacks, I'd be saying, well, that's horribly unjust. What a collective, racist, horrible, silencing yep. statement. Uh, but the fact that it's whites and not blacks—what the hell difference does that make? It's still philosophy.
5: That, that's that, that's the biggest bone I have to pick when it comes to these kind of types of people, because I think that all this kind of collective judgment—that's the worst kind of judgment you can ever do on an, on a person as an individual, based on some arbitrary collective you've assigned for them as a group. It's 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 such an odd thing because because. A lot of people that are being called white supremacists are, in my opinion, not white supremacists. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying. I'm um, I'm just trying to pick the the angle I want to uh, get on. The, get no, it's, a,
0: it's, a rope, it's, right? it's it's a tightrope, right? It's it you know the old saying. Sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but it's the old saying. It's like. It's, the the if you look at Black Pride or Gay Pride or Hispanic Pride or you know whatever uh then it, on Wikipedia then it's all like you know a, a legitimate expression of 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 joy and appreciation of your own cultural and, and ethnic history right but then if you look at sure. White Pride it's like KKK Nazi <laughs> yeah. racist supremist it's like oh come on like this is this is this is pitiful this is not even a a a, a, a this is not even sophistry I mean it's it's like you know three year olds with a with a spray can on the side of a railway car and and and
5: that and that's really sad to me not 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 because not because of the obvious obvious fact that you can celebrate your pride in whatever you might be i think everyone is entitled to be proud of who they are and who they choose to be more importantly than who they are and the, the the problem is that when people start doing this i think people have a fear of having an identity i feel like for example like a lot of the deep south I think less of them are less, way less of them are racist than people might assume. Like I've had friends who are afraid of going to Texas, and they come back and they're like, "Oh my god, these guys are amazing!" Like, <laughs> like who? Like, what the fuck is everyone talking about with all this KKK business? Like,
0: no, no, no. The reason made... the reason you hear bad things about the South is not because the South is racist. It's because the South doesn't vote for the left. The South in general votes for the right. And that's why they all have to be characterized as these, you know, mouth-breathing, one-toothed, unshaved, unwashed, two cars up on blocks in the front yard, and maximum education. You know, there's this whole thing about the state Arkansas census, you know, level of education achieved, kindergarten, grade two, grade three, other. You know, I mean, they have to make <laughs> fun of them in the same way that the left often makes fun of the military, because the military votes for the right, and the South votes for the right, and therefore they must be demonized. But no, it's nothing to do with uh, with racism uh, as, as a whole. And this is sad, you know, like, I mean, I can say there are things I respect and treasure about the Indian culture. I can say there are things I respect and treasure about the Japanese culture or the Chinese culture or wherever, right? But then if I say, well, there are things that I respect and treasure about white European culture... <gasps> racist, supremacist. It's <laughs> like, oh, come on. I mean, geez. You, you I mean if we're supposed to be multicultural, why is one culture and race always being singled out for the most horrendous verbal abuse that can be imagined?
5: Well, by multicultural, they just mean plain and blank. No, no one is entitled to have any identity because any kind of identity can lead to in-group preferences, and that's bad.
0: I don't know. that I wouldn't agree with you that no group is allowed to have. Like, I've never heard anyone on the left rail against the Hispanic advocacy group called La Raza, which literally translates to the race. It's a racial advocacy group. And I don't think anyone rails against them. But, you know, you try saying El Blanco. Mm. I don't know what the hell would be like the white group and a white race. And then you'd just be Nazis. And so I think some people are allowed to have... Uh, in group preferences based on ethnicity, just those people tend to uh, tan tan better.
5: I think in the meantime, you're absolutely correct. But within five years, if if this whole extreme regressive leftist uh, extremism doesn't kind of you know screech to a halt, I think eventually, like not not right now, the straight white male is the is the biggest bad guy. Once that's out of the equation, I think then there's going to be in group uh, problems. Where people try and like you know they're they're going to try and form a new identity that where everyone is the same instead instead of celebrating the differences between the groups they've managed to to bring in, but that's just purely speculative on my part.
0: Right, right. So, um, um, I mean, I agree the, with you, and I've, I've talked a lot about this, Matt, sort of the the death of the family and so on. And uh, I think it is uh, it is brutal, and and it is very it is very difficult uh, for people. We we all. We're all tribal species. We need communities. We need – and to me, the communities are those of values. You know, the ethnicity and the race I don't particularly care about, but it's a community of values that matters. You know, honesty, integrity, curiosity, reasonableness, and and so on. And the death of the family has been uh, just unbelievably vicious. You know, once you wake up to this kind of stuff, like I can't – I can't even really watch – movies and, and TV that much anymore because like I see the programming just bam, 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 you know, all the time. Like even if I just pick up some stupid comedy, it's like the young people who are free and sleeping around are having the best time and they're all beautiful yeah. and they're lean and they're happy and there's never any STDs or unwanted pregnancies. And there's very rarely any kind of Glenn Close with a scissor bunny boiler chasing you down in fatal attraction style and then all of the parents are tired and fat and depressed and ugly and their kids are brats and this relentless propaganda against families and for spending your precious sexuality on useless trash uh, and useless people uh it's really uh, it's hard to you know and, and this whole thing about you know for for Women in the West, uh, particularly uh, educated women, go have a career. It's like, why? Why not have your kids and have your career later when you won't be interrupted by kids? Uh, It is, and because everybody knows, if you can convince women to have kids later, you're going to get fewer of that group. Whatever that group is, you know, if I could convince Eskimos to, to, you know, you gotta go and build, build snow castles for the first, you know, from when you're 20 to you're 35. Well, when you're 35, you're lucky to have one kid, let alone two and three is pretty much out of the picture. So you're below replacement rates already. So this relentless convincing women to give up their most fertile and sexually attractive years in the pursuit of education and, 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 um, career attainment and so on when those things are more efficiently done later in life. You know, if you spend 20 to 30, you know, raising your kids, you've still got another 35 years to have a great career and all of that. Um, But this relentless, don't have kids, pursue hedonism and so on, I think is one of the main reasons why there is this underpopulation. Now, the underpopulation in the West doesn't particularly bother me insofar as you can just automate the crap out of stuff and you don't need more and more people. But if there is this sense of like, okay, well, people in the West, you don't have enough kids, therefore we need to bring... You know, twelve billion people from Africa in. Well, that makes things a little bit different. And um, until we find some way to resurrect the joys of the uh, family, uh, it is uh, it is going to be a very very tough system to sustain if people believe that lower birth rates must lead to higher immigration.
5: I mean, it all, it almost seems like on the on the mainstream level, the the maturity level has declined to that of a ten year old. I mean, you have your basic left is good, right is bad. Um, do what you do, whatever you you think is fun. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about responsibility. Don't worry about virtues. Don't worry about what's gonna happen to you when you're old, because you're gonna live fast, die young. That's the kind of um, message people are being constantly bombarded with, and it's just so self-defeating. I mean, I, I mean to try and even tackle that, like I don't, I don't know from which point to even to begin to address that, just because the whole thing as a whole just doesn't really quite vibe for me. Right um so so the thing you talked uh, you start talking about automation that's a that's a great point i'm really i'm really happy uh, you made that point because in, in a way it is true like we should we, we have all this technology and we should make it work for us instead of working for it and for example when people start talking about immigration like let us let, ignore the the, the the extreme the extreme ignorance in saying for example that the usa is the most impressive uh, oppressive country in the world meanwhile it's one of the most desired places for immigrants to come to. And like when you start looking at the kind of levels of the population, the kind of shifts that could happen, the kind of ranges uh, at both different ends. So when I, when I started looking at that, I think that the best solution is not to immigrate people to improve the quality of life is that you need to export the things that improve the quality of life. For example, like when, when the West started going through the industrialization and all the other countries followed, they all prospered because of that. They didn't all say, Oh, We're not going to do any industrialization in my country. We're just going to go to the U.S. and get it done over there. No, people were thinking, how do I bring this to my backyard, right?
4: Right.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, if if Western countries, if white countries are so racist, then surely immigration should be stopped so that... These, these poor non-whites don't experience all of this toxic, horrible racism. It's like, shouldn't you want to, you know, you don't move to Chernobyl, right? Cause it's radioactive. You don't go there. You move away from Chernobyl. So okay. it is just one of these goofy things and much more serious than the word goofy implies, which is, uh, well, those white countries are so terrible. Those white people are so racist. It's like, Hey, can I, can I get me to a white country? That would be excellent. It's like, well, which one is it? Yeah. It's like there's this joke that sort of pops around in, uh, in meme format, which is some, a uh, guy from Mexico who is like you know Mexico's the best and he's waving his Mexican flag you know viva Mexico and you know I I hate America viva and, and then it turns out he's in America and someone's like okay I'm going to deport you I'm going to send you back to Mexico he's like what <laughs> send me back to Mexico yeah. are you kidding you're going to ruin my life I don't want to go to Mexico and it's like uh, yeah. I don't really understand any of this any point
5: that's that's funny from my personal experience I've traveled um almost all of the continents on, on the planet I've been to very different countries, different religions, different economic systems altogether. And the most extreme forms of racism I've ever experienced have been in the Middle East. And and within North America, the, I haven't really had any kind of encounters where I was like, oh, that was definitely like some racist POS. Like It it was mostly like, hey, like the most recent racist example I can think of was I was trying to rent this apartment and the landlord happened to be Asian and he just didn't like me. That's the most racist thing that has happened to me in Canada yet.
4: Right.
0: Well, the other thing too, and I, this racism stuff, it's a its a big topic. So I'll just give you one or two points and then get your, your thoughts on it, Matt. But first of all, I'm not entirely, certainly online racism, I'm not, I'm not at all convinced that there are genuine racists out there. Like, of course, there are some racists in society, no question about that. But, you know, when you look at the number of sort of racial hate crimes that are reported, which then turn out to be committed by members of those races in order to Get sympathy or to sometimes even get out of an exam that they failed to study for or whatever. There's a lot of quote self-inflicted hate crimes from particular racial groups and so on. And, and this happens in every ethnicity and, and so on. And so some of that, I, you know, when, when you see some, some, you know, there's a Trump video and underneath there's some racist statements. I don't know if those are genuine racist. I don't know if they're leftists pretending to be racist in order to discredit the comment section of a Trump video. Like, I don't, I had no idea. You, you, I, like, the, the what you see online is, it does not, you know, warning may not reflect what's actually happening in the world. And secondly, the number, like, there are people, I don't know if you've known people like this in your life, Matt, but I certainly have. I was talking about this the other day um, with a guest. But there are people who, like, they they kind of know what to say to upset people the most. And it could be, it could be. So, and, and people know that there are these racial sensitivity wounds, that there's this big racial wound that, you know, that, that if you push it, then people will really react. And it's interesting because when people use racist terms or they escalate, maybe they're genuine racists or maybe they're just general sadists who are saying what is going to upset people the most. You know, it, it could be something about the Jews, if it's one particular area, it could be something about gays in another area, it could be like, they'll just say whatever is going to upset people the most. Are they genuine racists? Or are a generic sadists who are just rubbing that wound because they know that it's there? I don't know. I don't know. In other words, if there is a lot of sort of racial tension where there doesn't need to be, what that does is it invites the sadists in to come and try and rob salt into that wound, which makes everyone think that there are more racists than there are. It's just a particular thought. I don't have any great proof from it, but there does seem to be some evidence, at least online, that some of the negative statements about race uh, or racist statements are not genuine racists, but people playing the part to discredit others.
5: I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, for example, when I when, when I read all these news that are saying that the USA has suddenly become like a Nazi country overnight. And it's like you can't have a country where like a few months ago they all voted in majority for a black Democrat. And then overnight they all became KKK. Like it, it doesn't quite like the math doesn't add up over there. And like there are a lot of people online who are just trolls, whether it be about racism, sexism, just pure ignorant uh Stuff that they're just saying to get a reaction out of people, and people, some people love that. Like they just want to say the most obscene thing they can say and get away with, just to get the most possible extremist reaction out of whatever it is that they said. I mean, I mean, I, I think we also contribute to that. For example, when uh, um, I, I had a recent discussion on this about the N word, and I say that the more we make it a taboo, the more it becomes powerful when you actually call people that. Whereas, if whereas, if it wasn't a taboo, then like, if someone says that, I mean, like, if you put on, if you open the radio now, you're going to hear that word time after time again. <laughs> and, no one's, and no one seems to be offended. But but if I quote someone who said that word and I actually say the word instead of the N-word, somehow I am this extreme racist, uh, white supremacist, Nazi KKK member who, who is neither American nor lives in America, but somehow fits that stereotype. It it's just boggles my mind sometimes how, how people uh, process these events. I mean, like, from my experience, like, ever since I was really young, I got into computers. And uh, thank goodness for the Internet, because if that wasn't there, I don't know how I would have gotten out of the situation I was in with all the censorship that was happening to uh, different kinds of books, whether they be science, philosophy, history. And so, like, I've had a lot of interactions online. Like, I probably probably the biggest reason I'm, I'm a good speaker of English is because I've had. Uh, very early age experiences with technology, with the internet, with English speaking people, like I played World of Warcraft when it first came out, I met tons of amazing friends over there, and sure, was there some like guy who wanted to say something racist every now and then to get out of it? Sure, and were there people who were legitimately racist? Also also true. But the vast, the, the vast majority of experiences have not led me to believe that case, to, led me to believe that to be the case. Um,
0: Sorry, go ahead, finish your point.
5: Um, So, so for example, like, just like with this whole online thing, I mean, like, the the same can be, can be said for like, uh, Twitter in these days and age. I mean, like, for example, the whole fiasco, uh, with Twitter banning Milo for stuff that he didn't even say wanted, like, just because someone likes Milo and they do something doesn't really mean that Milo is at fault. Like, I mean, like, we, we, we need to give people back their individual power and their individual agency. Just like you, you can't associate whenever you hear, a few sentiments that sound alike. you can associate all of that as a group and target it with a hammer indefinitely because that, that that kind of primitive thinking doesn't really get you anywhere. It just makes the problem even worse if anything.
0: yeah, and if if we keep getting hysterical over every racist post, we're just feeding the trolls.
5: I mean and that's exactly what you're doing. yeah and, and once you start feeding the trolls, there's gonna be more trolls showing up, so you think the problem is even worse, so you double down. Yeah. And like this, this goes back to my whole thing where I say like the poison was the cure because <laughs> like if something doesn't work, double d- doubling down doesn't really make it more effective. And right. and if it did make it more effective, eventually you get to the point of uh, inefficient diminishing returns. And at that point, you're better off with another alternative to double down on altogether.
0: Right. Well, Matt, I, I got to move on. We got a bunch of more callers. First of all, massively appreciate the call, a very, very important and and foundational uh, topic. And, you know, I know that there are people out there who's like, oh, is a white person who's talking about racism and so on. You know, a I- the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson had a couple of chats with the guy. He's a great writer, and he's been really encouraging, saying why people talk up about these issues, because if you let the crazies dominate the conversation, it's just going to get worse. So I really appreciate yep. the opportunity to talk about this stuff. Your thoughts and your observations are fantastic, and I hope we can do this again.
5: Thank you so much for the opportunity, and, I'm, and I too am hoping that we get the chance to do this again.
0: Thanks, Matt. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Alright, up next we have Andrew. Andrew wrote in and said, I am a public school teacher and a resident of a small city in which I teach. I am surrounded by liberals and leftists at work. There will be a new high school built in our city within the next two years at the cost of about $75 million. There is a faction that looks at the pile of taxpayer money and would love to turn the new high school into a giant sustainability project. What is the best way to push back against this faction without appearing rude, combative, or crazy? That's from Andrew.
0: Andrew, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Well, thanks. So sustainability project, is that the uh you know, we're gonna plant trees to offset the carbon credits and uh we're gonna make it solar? Is that sort of environmental stuff? Is that what you mean?
6: Uh yeah, I actually have uh I have a little more or better information than at, at the time I wrote the, uh, I sent in the question, um, but it's uh, well, you, you kind of get the idea. Um, there's there's a lot of a lot of left leaning people um, both where I work and and in the in the city where I live, right. and so they're they're talking about um, in building this new building, um, geothermal versus a conventional heating system right. and also uh, solar
0: panels. Right. And okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. why, so, uh, um, why do you care about this sustainability project and, and how the money is spent? What does it matter? I mean, I, I get sort of at an abstract level, it's not maybe the most efficient thing to do and maybe it's a waste of money in certain areas and so on, but what is your, what is your, real interest in this? And and why would you want to push back against this?
6: Yeah, well, um, so I, uh, part of it is, so I'm a I'm a taxpayer here, and you know, a resident of the, of the city where this, where this uh, high school is going to be built. And so my part of my concern is that, well, if this, um, say if this geothermal, uh, heating system is put in, uh, I- I- I don't know the
0: track record on these things. No, but sorry to interrupt so Andrew, but concern. what what, yep. what yep. possible difference is it going to fundamentally make to your tax bill? Because if they end up spending more, they're just going to borrow or they're going to yep. put out bonds or something like that or whatever, right? So it's right. not likely to have much effect on your tax bill. Or if it does, what's it going to be? A hundred bucks a year, 50 bucks a year? Like how is it worth your time specifically as a taxpayer to risk the blowback, the, the hostility, the aggression, the, you know, poking the leftist beehive and having them swarm you or whatever. I mean, I'm just trying to – if you're going to say there's some practical or pragmatic reason for doing this, I'm having a tough time how it, seeing how it works as a, as a, just as a, as a taxpayer.
6: Yeah, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't.
0: Um, now, if there's another reason, I mean, I could sort of understand. But if it's like, well, I'm worried about my tax bill going up like why is why is this the hill to to plant your flag and to take the bullets on right why is this the one that you're choosing given that you know life is short and there's an infinity of things that we could be working on why is it this one for you
6: well okay um and i'm i'm not saying it's this one but i guess so so like i said so i uh, i don't work at that so the this this building that's going up is replacing the, the high school within the city where I work. Right. So I, I work at a different school in, in the school district um, at the at the middle school. Um, so I guess part of my issue is I'm sort of surrounded with this kind of stuff
0: <laughs> and uh, it's here, it's there. It's so you just, you, you want to pick something. Yeah. And and fight back, right? I'm I'm not saying you're wrong or it's bad, or I just don't understand. Yeah, right. You're just like, yeah. this is the mosquito I'm going to swat. I know there's a thousand mosquitoes around me, but this is the one that's right on my arm, and this is the one I want to swat. Is that what you mean?
6: Um. Uh, yeah, I mean the temptation. The I guess the like the impulse is there. It's like you know, it's sort of like line and sand. "It's like wow, this far and sort of like far enough."
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, what are yeah. you willing? What are you willing to give up in order to have this fight? Like, what is your not even a worst case scenario? But what do you think reasonably might happen if you uh, oppose this measure in in a way that is somewhat successful? Is Is there really any point opposing the measure if you have no chance of succeeding? Well, that just puts the mark of non leftist cane on you and makes your life mm-hmm. difficult and isn't going to change that much. But let's well, say that yeah. you have a chance yeah let's just let's just say you have a chance to to stop this and to push back against stuff to thwart this leftist obsession with some of the sustainability stuff you know because the leftists are so interested in sustainability that's why they're constantly fighting against the national debt. Oh wait, no, they don't do any of that, so they don't care about sustainability at all um, true. so why uh, what what do you think that the, the reasonable outcome might be if you succeed in in blocking this measure? what's going to happen to you
6: um yeah, that, uh, it would be sort of like a, <laughs> whatever the, whatever like the, uh, scarlet letter of
0: like, you know, um.
4: They're whatever, gonna
0: go you know. for you. Right. They're going to gun for you, right? And so what could they do? They could launch complaints against you. They could try and gin up your students against you. They could uh, assign you to bad or dangerous areas. I don't know. I mean, what do I know about what could happen? They could ostracize you like nobody's going to talk to you in the teacher's lounge or, you know, you could get bad performance reviews for political motivations. Uh, People might try and get you Mm -hmm. fired if that's even possible where you are for a government teacher. I don't know. But – this is the kind of stuff that could happen. And I'm not trying to say don't do it. I'm just, you know, be aware of the blowback so you can put your efforts into perspective.
6: Yeah, that's true. I uh, I think you sort of gave similar advice. There was a fellow that called a couple of weeks ago, I think a jazz pianist, I think it was a young guy and uh, he was, he was concerned about whether to speak up. And I think you, you sort of advised him to pick his battles or just sort of don't say anything until he was in a, maybe a little more secure position. Um,
0: Do you want to, like, here's my question, Andrew. Let's say that you get some significant blowback, right? And you will. Mm
4: -hmm. If you
0: succeed, you are going to get some significant blowback. These people... Keep right. pushing the envelope so that they, they kind of hope people fight back so that they can vent their spleen and their rage and their immaturity on, on someone. So you're going to get right. boom, right? You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have, going to get hit hard. Now that may be stressful for you. That may be difficult for you. That may be distracting for you mm-hmm. and your students will find out about it. Now, do you right. want your students to see good people being attacked and what? Being stressed or, or, or being upset. You know, if this isn't something that, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. Gotta hide like a rhinoceros in a double set of plate armor. But if you're not used to it, it's going to be difficult and your, your students are going to see. Well, first of all, they're going to be told lies about you, you know, like he hates the environment and he hates the poor and, you know, and, 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 you know, whatever, whatever. They'll go through every post you ever made on Twitter. They'll go through your Facebook. They'll go through whatever they can get their hands on to try and find ways to discredit you or make you look bad or whatever. And it may be the case that you lose. I don't mean you like you, maybe you win against the school, but then you lose. In terms of you get fired or reassigned or you quit because it's too unpleasant or whatever. In which case, you're going to show your students, here, I took a stand and I lost. And I lost what I wanted. Now, the other option, of course, is that you don't fight something you probably can't win anyway. And you continue to teach children about sort of, you know, reason and the free market and philosophy or empiricism or whatever it is that has you listen to this show and, and can communicate to the kids. and continue that uh, for the next while until you retire and that's a pretty good thing to be doing with your energies, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep. It is. It is, yep. And also it's not like if Uh, if we have this illusion like if the government doesn't spend $50 million then it will spend $50 million less. No, it won't. It will just spend the $50 million on something else.
6: Well, yeah. Actually, that was uh, a, a a meeting I went to, this, it just kind of staggers my, blows my mind. But uh, so the, the state's going to build a certain number, number of high schools. And uh, the fellow that gave the presentation, um, that, you know, the, the public meeting that I went to uh, said, well, if you folks don't approve this, they're just going to spend, you know, the state portion of this, which was $65, dollars million and change. They're going to, Spend it on some
0: other town. Um, well, or maybe what they'll do is they'll something. return the money to the treasury, in which case it's available to buy weapons to drop bombs on people in Afghanistan. You know, I mean, it's right. it's really yeah. tough yeah. to yeah. say I'm going to win a victory in every conceivable socio-political, economic, military dimension by not having the government spend money on this. You know, as far as things that the government right. spends money yep. on, solar panels. Really not the most destructive things. You know, hey, we're going to take these $75 million right. and we're going to pay more irresponsible women to have children without fathers. You know, it may be that this is right. the best use for this uh, unholy uh, government money because – um if you cut this spending, the government doesn't shrink. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're right. going to build the school yeah. anyway. Whether it's got solar panels in a garden or not uh, is not particularly uh, important. And they, there certainly is many more destructive ways the government could spend the money. Yeah, True. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's up to you. Um, but I think just be aware uh, and uh, maybe you can talk to other people who's uh, gotten – who've gone down this road, but it you know, could make the remainder of your teaching career a whole lot less fun, significantly more unpleasant. It doesn't save you any money, and they may spend money on stuff you disagree with even more. I mean, this is a bit of a hydra head to, to fight. And I'm not saying don't fight. I mean, I'm just, yep. you know, you really want to be aware of of the pluses and minuses before you go in. And if it's going to distract you from your capacity to sow the seeds of reason into the minds of the children you're teaching, then it may not be that the kids will benefit. And, you know, in this kind of situation, I mean, I think a lot when I do shows of what the audience needs and what the audience would prefer and what the audience will like. Uh, and um, what do you think your your students would want? Would they want this battle, consuming your mind and your energy? Um, or would they like more of your mind and your energy to be available for better teaching of reasonable principles to them?
6: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And that, you know, and obviously in the reading of the question, you see my age and I'm not that, not that far from retirement. And, uh, you know, it's a consideration Do I, like, you know, really want those.
0: Yeah, if you're not far from retirement too, you can, start yeah. to interrupt, but you can always, uh, you know, work till you retire and then be the gadfly that, that haunts the school board. I don't know. <laughs> then they can't do anything. Yeah. They're not going to pull your pension, right? So. That would be my thought. Anyway, I'm going to move on to the next caller, but I do appreciate the question. I'm, you know, again, I don't tell people what to do because what would be the point, but I hope that helps at least put some things in perspective. And and listen, just as a final point, and this is, don't feel like philosophy is ordering you to do stuff. Don't feel like, well, I really Mm -hmm. disagree with this, so I am honor bound to stand up and take the bullets. And This this is not how battles Mm -hmm. are won. Battles are won through the balancing of resources and energy. They are won through advances and retreats. You don't just take all of your soldiers and march them into gunfire and you don't take your personal energies and, you know, just drive them into gunfire. What you want to do is figure out what Gun. you can handle, figure out what's going to keep you motivated and don't take on more than you can um, uh, reasonably enjoy and and recognize the costs of standing up for and fighting for certain things. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there, I'm fighting every day for a reason, for philosophy, for evidence. So I'm not saying don't do it, but don't feel like you have to do it as some sort of principle. I mean philosophy is supposed to liberate you, not order you around like you're in some sort of rational army. So um that's my thoughts. I appreciate the question and I certainly wish I'm sure you'll make the right decision and do let us know what happens. We'll do. All okay, right. Thanks, thanks man. for your time.
1: All right, up next we have Peter. Peter wrote in and said, Last fall, one of my underage teenagers, male, was groomed and sexually assaulted by a female employee. Of the local government school since reporting the felonies against my child to the police the defendant slash abusers family and friends physically threatened my family including death threats last week my residence was burglarized and some guns were stolen since then the death threats have been issued at my family online the police and district attorney have begun investigating the crimes which resulted from reporting the sexual assaults as of today My family's in the process of moving to a different county for safety. We're just up and leaving for two main reasons. One, people with guns, a motive, and a vendetta who have burglarized my home have threatened to murder my family. And two, even if I successfully defend my home from an invader, I'd be labeled a white racist black person killer, and I'd have to move anyway, and my teenage kids would be stigmatized their entire lives. Currently, we're hunkered down with security cameras and guns waiting to move to a safer community. My question to Stefan is this. Do you think this is the rational course of action considering the current state of affairs in the United States? My teenagers were raised in a majority-minority environment, and they understand we are moving from one distinct demographic area to a different demographic area, and why? They will be transferring from a majority-minority environment into a wider environment specifically to avoid physical attacks, burglaries, and possible death. Can you recommend a conversation point or activity to help identify and address what I perceive as the PTSD they're developing, and how should I help them adapt and interact in their new environment? That's from Peter.
0: So the first thing I want to say is I'm incredibly sorry for this kind of situation, which seems just about every conceivable level or layer of hell that can be imagined, and I just wanted to first start off by expressing uh, my, my deepest sympathies for all of this uh, situation first.
7: Well, thank you for that. Uh, actually, I've kind of trained my family to work as a unit, and everybody's kind of collectively tried to, to comfort my, uh, my child that was assaulted, And healed each other. We've actually done reasonably well on that. We have a lot of horror ahead of us. We have to be witnesses for the original crimes in December. And um, we're just we're just trying to move forward in a positive direction.
0: So your son was sexually assaulted by this teacher, I assume, based on what you said later that she's a black teacher. Is that right?
7: Uh, She's not a teacher. She is a, she was an employee of the school. She worked in like the attendance office.
0: Okay. But she was black, Um, right? Yes, she was. Okay. And so you reported the felonies to the cops and then this family and friends are threatening you. And I assume, is it fair to say that you have reported these threats as well?
7: Yes. I, uh, when I learned about what happened, the woman actually didn't think I would report it and did seem to think it was a crime. And, um, so I obtained, you know, the evidence that I needed ironclad evidence. I went to the local police. They looked at the evidence. They issued an arrest warrant. They promptly nabbed her. She is going to prison for 40 years. Now, after we reaffirmed to the district attorney that we were not going to back down and that we were going to test with the linchpin testimony. Um, the threat started coming on. He was, you know, approached at school by cousins of the defendant and, you know, um, their friends, all of a sudden, you know, you go from being kind of the, the cool white guy to the absolute opposite. And, um, this kind of proceeded throughout the year, got picked on threats now and again, chased around campus a couple of times. And, um, then apparently, uh, somebody decided to, uh, you know, burgle my house. Um, one day when, you know, right after school started up, I'm a teacher too, by the way, uh, right after school started, um, my home was burglarized. Uh, Somebody broke in the, uh, back door and stole pretty much all of my kids Christmas presents or anything that they had saved up for in the last few years. Uh, they were able to break into one of my safes and get some, you know, light, light arms. And, um, then, uh, you know, we came home and it was just, you know, crushing because, uh, you know, the boys got home before I did. And my daughter wasn't here, by the way, I'm a single father. And so I, um, got the call at work, left work, talked to the police. They found evidence, but it's going to take a little while. And so my thinking, once a death threat went out on Snapchat, is that um, the system will most likely work, but I need to remove myself and my family from the danger. And I think I can move about 50 miles away, keep my jobs and just relocate my family to a new school district. I'm concerned with teaching my kids about running away from problems i'm concerned with teaching them about that they obviously understand regardless of how non-racist their upbringing and their early socialization was they understand that no other race community would be doing this right now given the fact that my son was the one that was sexually assaulted does that make sense
0: Well, that's certainly, uh, I mean, statistically it would be less, less likely, um, 40 years. That's a staggering potential sentence.
7: If you'd like me to elaborate, I'll say that, um, sexual crime is sexual crime. Right. And, um, this person has two felony charges, and um, I'm gonna—I'm not gonna be graphic, but she deserves them. And the district attorney actually offered her a plea bargain. Her attorney turned it down, and now she's getting 40 years. There's irrefutable evidence, and um, now because of these threats, you know, if somebody steals guns from you and puts out a death threat on you, I don't perceive, you know, a a, a Guido a mafia hit, I perceive someday some people build up enough courage to break in my house and try and shoot me. Right. And I just, I'm I'm removing myself. Now what I've done, thankfully, and I'm being serious when I say this, since my children were much smaller, we bonded deeply as a family. They all know how to shoot. They all work out. They all know how to fight. Um, They've been trained to do these things. I know it sounds funny. It's part of my culture to to imbue those or to, to give that to my kids. They have that. They're, they're soldiers right now. We got some security cameras and they got into one of my safes. They didn't get my guns there. So we have those and I am um, probably going to be moving in the next two days from today. Now, how should I, I'm sorry, maybe my real question is, what do you think would be the best way to approach my kids with this understanding that look, you can't be friends with people from the old community anymore. And the reason is because they gave a nod to the people that are trying to kill us. Um, you know, I, I have to address the fact that right now we've kind of gotten numbed to the idea that we have to go through security procedures to come home late, things like that. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this? Do, yeah, do, let me I, just, I, I do. I, I, I do and I've, I've, I've been just,
0: thinking about this a lot today. So, but I just... It's a couple of thoughts I just sort of get off my chest. And number one, you get death threats, presumably, I suppose, associated with the family of the woman who assaulted your son. And I mean, to me, you know, what I've heard, and I think it's true in, in many places that if the woman, like if there's a divorce and the woman says, I'm scared, or he attacked the kids, or he attacked me, they don't wait for proof. They just go in and take the the man out of the house, right? They swoop in like, boom, yeah. right that, that day, that moment, that hour, right? And yet you're getting death yeah. threats rained down upon you and you're the one, like they're, they're not swooping in and saying, okay, well, uh, this person and this person and this person, well, now you're uh, off the streets and we'll keep do- we'll keep going until the death threats stop. Um, that, I guess, is not how it's working, right?
7: No, no it's not. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, um, I, I'm going to, To be ambiguous, I live in the greatest state of this union. And the way it works down here is that even when there is something that's compelling, they have to have evidence before they will go pick somebody up. Now, I've talked to the detective personally several times, and what he's given me is layers of evidence. There's a certain threshold of evidence before he can do anything. Now, um, I've talked with him. I have private lawyers looking at this. Um, And what it comes down to is these young people are incredibly tech savvy. They Mm. know how to make messages circulate and not circulate. Um, If something is is visible or screen capable, it was meant to be seen. But I have some I have a lot of evidence and they just need to reach a certain threshold before they can go picking people up. And it'll happen. Just I'm getting out of here first.
4: Right.
0: Right. I'm going. Well, so I just want to give this a little bit of context for people as well, because this may be surprising to a lot of listeners. And this goes all the way back to 2004. There was a, a researcher the, who did a 2004 study prepared for the U.S. Department of Education. Her name is Cheryl Shakeshaft. And according to this research, and I quote from it, the physical sexual abuse of students in schools is likely more than 100 times the abuse by priests. I'm going to say that again because people don't really get this. All we hear about is the Catholic pedophiles, Catholic sexual abuse scandals, and so on. According to this, this is now a pretty old study, right? It's 13 years old. Quote, the physical sexual abuse of students in schools, and by that I assume she means government schools, the U.S. Department of Education, is likely more than 100 times the abuse by priests. According to this study, the most accurate data available at the time indicates that, and I quote, nearly 9.6% of students are targets of educator sexual misconduct sometime during their school career. Nearly 9.6% of students are targets of educator sexual misconduct sometime during their school career. And in in sort of comparison, the sexual abuse by priests, that was a phenomenon that spiked mid-1960s, mid-1980s, but has been to a large degree dealt with. Uh, In the recent years, the church has really worked to remove the sexual predators in in the priest class, and in 2009, there were only six credible cases of clerical sexual abuse reported to the U.S. bishop's annual audit, and that's a church with 65 million members. There were six. And this... Capacity for children to be groomed, to be assaulted, to be raped, to be molested in government schools, is far more prevalent than in the Catholic cl- clergy. But of course, given that leftists in general the control of the media, what do you hear about leftists? Hate the church and love government schools. So you will hear a lot about priestly sexual abuse, which of course is abhorrent, but you will not hear about the far more prevalent crimes of sexual abuse by educators and other people working in the school system against children. Almost one out of 10 students are targets of educator sexual misconduct at some point during their school career. One out of 10, almost 10%. And that's the data that is reported. That is the information that is provided. Is it higher than people who just, it happens to and they never say anything and won't even fill out a survey indicating it? I would imagine that it could be believable that it was true. And here, you know, even if we accept these, it is about one in 50 women who will experience um, sexual assault or sexual problems, uh, violent problems in, in colleges across America. But even if we took the standard, it's one in five, which is not true. But if it was one in five, the standard feminist talking point about rape cultures on U.S. campuses. Women are safer on U.S. campuses than they are in just about every other sphere of American life. But even if we say, okay, it's, it's one in five, that's 20%. Now, they're adults, which is bad enough. But we're talking about one in 10 children, students in government education. Nearly one in 10 are targets of educator sexual misconduct sometime during their school career. Children. Now, will you ever hear about the rape culture in government public schools? Well, you won't, because that's not the narrative. The narrative is there are evil pedophile priests, the church is horrible, uh, the church covered up, the church protected, it's endemic. It's, But you won't hear about the far more prevalent abuse of children that is occurring in government schools. And I'm sorry, incredibly sorry, of course, that your son got caught up in this... Uh, nightmare, which is all too common, and is ridiculously and criminally, morally, criminally covered up by the mainstream media, the amount of abuse, particularly sexual abuse, that can go on in government schools. So I just wanted to point that out to give sort of context for a larger understanding of this. Now, as far as should you run? Well, yeah, of course you should run. Because you're not being protected by the state. Your children are in danger, and I think they have legitimate reasons to feel in danger. If, and we don't have to get into the details, and we shouldn't, the crime against your son was, as egregious as it sounds, a 40-year sentence, then this is, the people who are willing to defend that, I would take those threats pretty seriously. So, yes, of course, you should run. Because the state is not protecting you. You don't have the right of self-defense in many ways, practically. Because if you're a white person defending against a black person, it's Russian roulette. If the media happens to fixate on what happened, then you will probably get charged for political reasons, Uh, and even if you get acquitted after some time, uh, your finances will be destroyed, your reputation will be destroyed, and your kids are going to have to live with the consequences of that decision if your self-defense gets politicized, uh, which can happen. Uh, you know, particularly should it happen in an election year, that's when the media tends to escalate this kind of stuff up through the stratosphere. So, yeah, of course you should run because facts don't matter and you are putting your children in considerable risk. The The best case scenario is you get tried for murder for something which turns out to be justifiable self-defense. But the media will report that, you know, some homeless guy was looking for directions and was offering to sell you some pencils and you shot him Um for no reason. I mean, I don't know what, what they'll say, right? Like like the guy who was the disabled guy shot reading a book and so on. And what was it the um, the Freddie Gray, right? Years later, yeah. they're not prosecuting the Freddie the Freddie Gray, the policeman involved in in or around when Freddie Gray received his injury that that uh, resulted in his death. Now, what if they had to go through? And what are they going to be going through for the rest of their lives? What kind of lives are they going to have from here on in? Um, doesn't matter. Let's say you're acquitted. Well. Um, you can't, uh, it's what uh, Marie Henland said about defending Gian Gameshi, which she did successfully. She said, I can never return you to the place where you were never charged. I can't, I can't do that. That will never, I can get you, hopefully I can get you off the charges if you're innocent, but I can never return you to the life you had before you were charged. So I just wanted to, um, point out that of course, uh, you have to recognize when you're in a situation where, You can do something productive and proactive. And when you are facing these kinds of threats, you know, the fact that your kids know how to shoot, the fact that they go to the gym, that doesn't matter if there's a drive-by. That's not going to help them if they get jumped someplace um, where they're not allowed to have a gun or where they don't have time to draw it or who knows what, right? So um, yes, of course, you have to get your family to a place of safety, because you are not in a situation where you're going to be protected by the state, which you have paid taxes your entire life for the supposed protection. And um, from that standpoint, uh, I would say you're doing the right thing, in my opinion.
7: Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, the night of the burglary, I called, you know, the proverbial family meeting, and we sat around the table and we just talked about, okay, you know, what's going on? You know, how are we going to address this? And we came, I, I'm really heartened to say we came to a very similar conclusion to what you just said. And it, it does me a great service to know that somebody whose intellect I respect, such as yourself, would proffer that advice. So thank you very much for that.
0: Now, as f- I appreciate that. And, and again, I'm so sorry for what your family is going through. Um, you know, when it comes to talking to your kids, you know, the the problem of, of black criminality is huge. It's enormous and it is largely unspoken of. And if it is ever spoken of, the only answer that is provided is systemic discrimination in the justice system and uh white racism. That that's that's and this these are not answers for for reasons which I've gone into before, but very briefly, the arrest records by race almost identically match the crime victimization surveys. In other words, um, if people say, well, you know, 50 blacks burglarized my home, or, you know, there were people who burglarized my home, you know, 50 of them were blacks, and then it matches the arrest record of 50 blacks. In, you know, it's close. But of course, you know, if if, if, some, if some white guy assaults you and you go to the cops and you say, a white guy assaulted me. And then they give you a lineup of black guys. Of course, you're going to say, well, no, none of, those, none of those people assaulted me. I told you it was a white guy. He had red hair. He had blue eyes. I don't know why you're showing me all these guys. It's got nothing to do with it. The criminality is really shocking when you dig into the numbers. Um, when you're talking about interracial crime, a black person is 27 times more likely to attack a white person than the other way around. Hispanic, eight times more likely to attack a white person. When this kicks in, obviously not in the crib, but at some point as adults, does it escalate during times of school? Well, at some point, right? At some point. Uh, in, this is from 2013 data. A black is six times more likely than a non-black to commit murder. And a black is 12 times more likely to murder someone of another race than to be murdered by someone of another race. In 2014, we're talking New York City. A black is 31 times more likely than a white to be arrested for murder. Hispanic is 12.4 times more likely. For the crime of shooting, which is a, this is a firing a bullet that hits someone. A black was 98.4 times, not percent, 98.4 times more likely than a white to be arrested. Hispanic, 23.6 times more likely. Now, as far as moving to a more white neighborhood, I wish the numbers were different with all of my heart. I wish the numbers were different. But just for example, if New York City were all White statistically, the murder rate would drop by 91 percent. The robbery rate would drop by 81 percent, and the shootings rate would drop by 97 percent. If uh, Chicago was all white, the murder would decline 90 percent, rape by 81 percent, and robbery by 90 percent. Now, in any in case anyone thinks this is just mindlessly pro-white, I can tell you, virtually certainty with virtual certainty that if New York City were East Asian or Oriental, like sort of Chinese and, and Japanese, if New York City were all East Asian or Chicago were all East Asian, the the crime rates would be even lower than if it were all white. So these are the basic... I mean, there's lots more data and statistics that go on. I mean, in South Korea, the crime rate is effectively zero. In In Japan, the police have... Nothing to do. They're, they're making things up to do. They have virtually nothing to do. You know, uh, whites are more crime-prone than East Asians. Hispanics are more crime-prone than whites, and blacks are more crime-prone uh, crime than Hispanics. These are the facts. I wish with all of my heart they were different. There are some things which can be changed. Parenting, uh, peaceful parenting, not hitting your kids and all that kind of stuff. There are other things that can be changed, such as uh, working to keep the black family together uh, which would help enormously. But it is not just white racism and a corrupt justice system that is causing these numbers. It is not the case at all. Uh, to, to borrow an argument from Ben Shapiro, right? People say, well, you know, blacks are arrested more. That must mean there's racism. And he says, well, men are arrested more and, and convicted more than than women. Why is it? Because it's anti-male bias. And people say, well, no, because men commit more crimes. right. That's right. Now, you know, we've talked about the race and IQ. We've talked about a wide variety of systemic factors that produce all of this stuff. Some of it is under our control. Maybe some of it isn't. But, of course, we should focus as if everything is under our control because we don't ever want to shoot too low or too short in attempting to redress problems of violence or criminality in any community. These are the facts. And your children, unfortunately... And, and you a lot of times, have not been given the facts because the facts are considered to be racist. And unfortunately, facts cannot be racist. And the fact that moving them to a more white school, to a more white neighborhood, will significantly lower their chances of being the victim of a crime, of of attack, of assault within the school. If you were to move them to an East Asian school, their chances would drop even further. So as far as this goes, these are the facts of the situation, of the um, distribution of criminality across various ethnicities. Again, Though it's useless to say it, and if wishes were horses, beggars would ride, I desperately, with all my heart, wish this data were different. I wish that, I wish it was just white racism sometimes. I really wish it was just white racism and a corrupt justice system, because that stuff could be fixed to some degree much easier than this stuff, uh, which nobody knows as yet how to fundamentally change. I mean, there are ideas, you know, peaceful parenting and so on, but when you have a traumatized, largely single mom environment with 75% of kids being born to single moms in the black community and entire and particular areas. I don't know how we're going to get peaceful parenting wedged into that. I'm actually, um, well, I'm working with some people that, anyway, that doesn't really matter. But the reality is that even if we were able to solve the parenting issues tomorrow, the solutions wouldn't show up for another generation. So there's no wand that you can waive to protect your children in the environment that they're in. It may have been an uneasy enough environment before this situation happened. But now, they're targeted. And based upon these statistics, and based upon, as you say, the proof of the woman's guilt in committing a heinous sexual assault upon your underage son, I would not assume that the family members are steeped in deep and abiding virtues as a whole. I mean, these things tend to cluster. So... I think you just have to give them the facts about what you're doing. The challenge then becomes, well, why were we there in the first place, right? Why were we in this environment in the first place? And I don't have an answer for that with regards to how you could answer that, but that is going to be one of the challenges that your kids are going to ask, I think.
7: Well, I, um, I, I thought that I've, I've kind of been, we've been holed up here, and so I've had a lot of time to be kind of reflective, contemplative about this very issue. And um, really, I understand the reason we're here. I discussed this with them. I had lived here during a during the time I was in graduate school, and and when their mother and I divorced, I didn't. I wanted to give them stability, so we stayed in this school district so they could keep all of their friends. And frankly, I it made my life very difficult to be here. Not not an, a racial uneasiness, but like just economically, it's expensive now, and so. You know, I took on extra work and all this kind of stuff, and um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the data that you're that you're you know citing obviously suggests um, in the aggregate that there is you know this, this amazing gap, and uh, the evidence is really high, and and I buy it right now. I don't doubt it one bit. But we just lived here for you know, more than a decade, and all of a sudden, people that were you know friends since you know elementary school started to. You know, Turn on and um, you know, picking on physically, that kind of thing. So I, uh, I think that's going to be a difficult, uh, difficult reality to face. It's just kind of going from feeling threatened to not feeling threatened, and correlating those things with the two environments. I, I think that's just a really tough red pill for teenagers to swallow, especially you know, given the state of the propaganda. I mean, the the television shows and you know, YouTube, Buzzfeed. I mean, you know what I'm talking about
0: um no, so they're I kind understand of having all that. and reality and i'm sorry i'm sorry to interrupt but I, and this is not going out to you because the ship has sailed but i just want to point something out to people as a whole this is my rant peter so and and for the audience as a whole this is not some reasoned evidence-based philosophical examination of of mere empirical data but this is my rant now, let me ask you this peter so how many friends do you have still in your life as active friendships that you also had when you were 10?
7: I'm an exception to that. I, I have a ton. I'm an exception because I'm hometown type person. Um, probably more than 20, but that's okay. It, for, I, for the sake of this conversation, we'll say most people have very few, so go ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, most people I know don't have, and you know, it's not necessarily because of incompatibilities, but you know, life sometimes takes you in different directions, particularly if one person succeeds, the other person doesn't. One person has kids, the other person doesn't. One person travels, the other doesn't. One gets a higher education, the other doesn't. And um, it can be as, as simple as you live in one place and somebody else lives in another place. But a lot of people, a lot of people don't retain friends from their youth. Now, kids... Want their friends. I understand that. And I'm going to get in trouble for this when I say it anyway. It's a little too late to (laughs) worry about all of that now. But kids want friends sometimes, like kids want candy. Kids want continuity sometimes, like kids want sugar. Doesn't mean they should get it. And the idea of living in a, a, a risky environment for your children for the sake of their friendships, well, it's I mean, it, it seemed like a good decision right now in hindsight, back in the time, but, but right now it probably doesn't feel like such a good uh, decision based upon what's happened to, to your son and what's happening to your family as a whole. And again, this is not to say that this is always going to be the case for everyone who's in this situation, but you have to look at the numbers. You have to look at the data and make your decisions. And you have to do, of course, what, is, what you're doing now. Your kids' friendships are going to be interrupted for the sake of safety. And I'm very much of the opinion that, uh, ah, you can make new friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not like, they're not family, they're not blood. They're just people in the same school. And, yes, you get along, and I'm sure you know you'll miss your friends for a little while. And I say this as a guy, like, I went to a bunch of different schools. I was able to make new friends. I went to a bunch of different countries. I was able to make new friends. I went to three different universities. I was able to make new friends and and so on. And, and as an adult, I, you know, through this show and other things, I've been able to make new friends and, and so on. Just had a, a lovely uh, family stay with us for uh, a little while who I met through this show. Wonderful, wonderful people and, and uh, had a great, great time and uh oh tomorrow there's more coming anyway <laughs> but um you can make new friends you can you can make new friends but you can't be unassaulted if that makes you can't get that like it never happened and so i'm very much a one for do whatever is safe and listen this fundamentally isn't a race thing as far as the only marker that goes you know, there may be some, you know, wonderful upscale, middle class, wonderful professional black kids schooled uh, up the road. And then there may be some, I don't know, low rent, trailer park, meth sniffing, single mom, white bunch of kids um, down the other side of the road. And you move to where your kids are going to be the safest. And it's not the only marker is not race or anything like that. It could be a whole bunch of other things. But you move to where your kids are the safest. You say, Oh, my kids, I got friends there. It's like, eh, you can make new friends. Your friends come and go. But security and stability within the family is something to be enormously treasured. And I think that's my perspective for other people in terms of prevention rather than cure. Right now, you're looking really not even so much for cure, but just survival. And I would say that keep your kids in a safe environment as humanly possible. If that's, you know, hopefully that's not a government school because I don't think those things are particularly safe, even if they're physically safe, mentally, you know, as... uh, as Candace Owens recently said on the show, or as I quoted back to her, you know, your education wasn't free, you paid for it with your mind. And your kids now are getting an education. And I would certainly suggest, and I'm sure you would too, Peter, if you could go back in time to say, um, given the data, given the facts, given the markers, it is uh, risky to be in particular situations.
7: Yeah, if I would have had the data at the time, I probably would have decided differently. But I mean, we're talking about more than fifteen years ago, when I moved to the area, it, it was there 's been a shift since that time, and frankly i wasn 't aware of the data
0: originally no, I know.
7: so you 're absolutely you 're absolutely right they keep it suppressed and, um, for a
0: reason because it 's a big industry uh, to pretend that the only problems with non white communities is white racism i mean it 's sad practically, it has become a big uh, business it 's become a big cash transfer, and uh, this is one of the reasons why you won 't hear about. It. This uh, kind of data, and it's tragic because, of course, this kind of data could stimulate an examination of the real causes and sources of these problems, rather than um, everybody looking in the wrong place for a solution.
7: Yep, I totally agree. All right. Well, Stefan, I appreciate I appreciate your advice tonight.
0: Keep us, uh, keep me posted if you can, uh, Peter. And please give my very deepest sympathies to to your kids, and and take a massive heaping as much as you can handle for yourself. Uh, what a difficult situation. And, you know, this is, if we have more honest conversations, some of this stuff can be prevented. And uh, if some of this stuff can be prevented, everyone's going to get along better. And that's my particular goal. So thanks very much for your call. I wish you the very best. And uh, I think, in my personal opinion, you're doing the very best that you can for your family. And uh, if you did anything less, i would be nagging you ridiculously. Peace be with you, Stefan. Thank you very much. You too, my friend.
1: All right. Up next, we have Thomas. Thomas wrote in and said, Do you think it goes too far to say that we in America are far along a path demonstrating the evils of the elite, not by the people, government, and that to reform, we need to treat lying almost as severely as murder, teach children not to lie and not gently, require even force our politicians never to lie and stop paying people to lie? through commercially-sponsored TV, including news, or broadcast or film other messages that lie or encourage lying. And do you anticipate if the coming recession or depression is bad enough due to lies of fiat money and fiscal debt? America will embrace this in a restoration of morality. I contend that a torch of truth is one of the three requirements for liberty. That's from Thomas. Hey, Thomas, how are you doing? Are you unmuted, my friend? I
0: am unmuted. There we go. There we go. Well, it sounds like you I'm going to step in or it sounds like you're in a fairly ferocious place mentally. Is that fair to say? I'm not complaining. Um, I'm just pointing out.
2: Okay. um, Well, you're all you're aware of the agenda 21 stuff. Uh, And
0: I've heard of the term and uh, this is some UN stuff. Is that right?
2: Well, no, there's a lot behind it. But basically, uh, um, there's we we have a situation where we've got elite government and it's sort of like become our enemy. It doesn't identify with us anymore. So uh, there's a lot of people on the internet that are uncovering documents and so forth that talk about uh, how elite government had some plans for us that Trump got in the way of. But... Uh, uh, my the reason I called you or the reason I, I wrote to your producer was because of your book and uh, your discussion of it. And it's my contention that lying in our society is something that is just uh, it's poison for all of us. Right. And um, you, earlier in the evening, you mentioned the movie Dunkirk. And there's only two decisions that were made by characters in that. One was to uh, keep flying even though he was running out of gas. But the other one was it was okay to lie so long as you were talking to someone in an inferior mental state. And so I I think that uh, this movie Dunkirk was a a propaganda movie in that it was uh, trying to help normalize lying. And uh, it seems as though I've read on the internet that many, that they had planned to try to normalize a lot of the other garbage they've been doing. Right. Right. But um, where I but got he- the- Sorry, sorry
0: to interrupt. But okay, so I mean, let's sort of dig into some of the challenges around what you're saying. And I don't, am not defending lying or anything like this. But uh, treat lying almost as severely as murder. Well, God, yeah. Uh, you know who's who's going to determine what are lies and what is truth, right? I mean, there are people who, um, you know, who who say stuff I say is a lie. I have the data behind me. Are there you know, I mean, who is going to be given that awesome power to put people in jail for decades for Blying. lying? And who is going to figure out what that line is? You know, is it going to be Snopes? Is it going to be Politico? Is it going to be?
2: Who who is it going to be? Did you know, for example, that there was an invention called an MRI lie detector that is supposed to be nearly foolproof? Oh, so then you would uh, – I'd love to see politicians hooked up to that while they're having their debates.
0: Right, right. Well, of course, politicians – the moment you pass that law, politicians will exclude themselves. You know, it's like Obamacare, right? I mean, uh, John McCain is going to get treated at the Mayo Clinic – which is, he says, it's the very best health care you can get. Do you think they take Obamacare? No, they don't. And Congress excluded themselves and many of their friends from Obamacare because they don't want to be subject to the law. I mean, what's the point of being a politician if you subject yourself to your own laws, or increasingly right. these days with Trump, your own political promises? So right. uh, I don't like giving the government the power to punish by lying. Now, of course, the government does have the power to punish for lying. It's called perjury. Uh, and uh, if you lie uh, in a criminal investigation or if you lie... Uh, in court, or if you lie when you're under oath, again, unless you're a politician <laughs> these days, uh, it seems like well you you will be you will be punished for all of that. Uh, but um, now, of course, if you lie under oath again, if you're part of the power elite. It doesn't doesn't really matter. So I agree with you that we need to be able to find ways to punish liars, and the way that we should punish liars is teach people how best to. Evaluate and understand the truth and then teach them to ostracize people who were liars. But the problem is, as I talk about, I assume when you talk about my book, you're talking about The Art of the Argument, available at theartoftheargument.com. I hope that you will uh, grab a copy and, and leave a review. But the problem is, is that we have people lying all the time in academia, misrepresenting, falsifying things all the time. And One of
2: my ideas hang on, was so, to- But the
0: problem is, is we can't stop funding them because generally they're paid for or supported by the state. Right. And so we, we can't ostracize people who were lying because they get their money in ways that we can't control. You can't boycott in a sense, universities. Now, I know in America, with some of the more private universities, there are taking hits for not standing up for free speech and for disallowing conservatives. Was Charles Murray was just not allowed to speak because they were afraid of Antifa and so on. And so if universities won't protect First Amendment rights in America and if they bow down to bullying, they will receive negative economic consequences. But as long as— I mean. See, you're you're subsidizing universities, even if they're private, even if they have massive endowment funds, taxpayers are still subsidizing universities because the federal government and other agencies of the state are supporting or encouraging or subsidizing uh, loans to students to go to to colleges. And and again, because the laws are such that student debt can't be discharged in a bankruptcy, uh, it is um, like money in the bank, right, if it's supported by the state. Uh, and you can't discharge it through bankruptcy, that's a pretty good source of income for the incorrigibly corruptible. So I like a situation, and I talk about this in the book, the need to to ostracize people who are sophists, people who falsify, people who uh, lie, who misrepresent. And that will work in the free market of ideas, but there's so much in modern culture that is not subject to the free market of ideas where people are subsidized or controlled or uh, dissent is, is squashed or crushed. And so, until we get to a place where we can genuinely ostracize the sophist, it's really hard to control this, these kinds of falsehoods. Now, we do, of course, have the internet and these kinds of conversations where we can push back against that stuff, which, you know, I do on a pretty much a daily basis. But, uh, and I think that's the best that we can hope for at the moment.
2: How about if we stop paying people to lie, like, for example, require people to pay for all their television shows? In other words, no commercials, no megaphone to the corporations to tell us their version of reality. Instead, we have to pay whoever we would trust for newscasts, or we have to uh, subscribe to a, a television show.
0: But Thomas, why would anyone propose that law or try to pass that law? And governments would simply say, well... There are public service announcements, which we won't consider commercials, and then the government will just lie to you through those public service announcements. And Of course, a commercial is not a violation of the non-aggression principle, and you're giving the power to to censor um, free commercial exchanges between people. I mean, this is why I said, you know, in looking at your statement, that you were in a particularly um, aggressive place, you know. You're talking about, you know, trying lying, treating lying almost as severely as murder, and you're talking about teaching children not to lie, and not gently force our politicians never to lie, uh, and stop paying people to lie through TV and so on. You know, people pay for movies. Are you saying that movies don't lie? I mean, there are very few commercials. I guess there are more now. There didn't used to be, but um, you know, people pay to go and see movies. People pay to go and see plays, and there are no commercials in plays and movies and plays can be very false. So, you know, I I appreciate your commitment and passion for the truth. And, you know, what I would suggest is if you want to help contribute to the cause of truth, then you could uh, set up a show on the internet, a blog or or something like that, where you find egregious and terrible lies and you uh, expose them. Uh, and, And hopefully then people can learn who to trust and who not to trust.
2: Yeah, um, I had considered, uh, I was interested in possibly people talking about some of the ads that we have to see. For example, there's an ad in which two bankers are wandering around a, uh, a community that uh, is very decrepit. And you've probably seen it in which they go up to a baseball field and caress a little uh, uh, gold a uh, memorial to some uh, a couple who never missed a game and the reason they never missed a game was because they couldn't afford to fix their car or their television set and so uh, they had to eat their principal and they ran out of money and when people run out of money they die hmm. so these bankers are are acting so much like they love everybody in that community it's so false and the whole reason they did the ad was to turn that on its, uh, uh, onto and completely uh, go the other direction as if they love people. In, in fact, they, they could care less. They just, they're just all about money.
0: Right. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's great profit in lies as well. And people have a thirst for lies because they've been lied to as they've grown up. They've been lied to by teachers. They've been lied to by politicians. And should have been lied to by their parents. They've been lied to by some of their institutions, both secular and religious. Because people have a great thirst for lies. You know, if we stop raising children with lies, they won't need lies or have a great thirst for lies. There won't be a great market demand for lies uh, when they uh, when they get older. But, yeah, my, my concern, Thomas, is that you have this idea that you're going to have this great control of state apparatus and be able to use it to enforce truth and, and to punish lies and— um, you don't have the wisdom for that. I don't have the wisdom for that. Nobody has the wisdom for that. We need free speech. We need, people have the right to lie. They have the right to misrepresent. They have the right to falsify. And, uh, you know, not not in terms of fraud and so on, but, you know, I can't, uh, you know, I can't, you, know, you, you got a politician who says, build the wall, build the wall, and build the wall, chant the wall, lock her up, lock her up. Like, he's not locking her up. He's not building the wall. There's evidence now, according to Pelosi, that, Trump is now gonna give like what is it, between eight hundred thousand and one point seven million DACA potential or existing recipients path to citizenship, and he's not even gonna tie in funding for a border wall there. I mean, it's literally like he's just committing political suicide by enfranchising people who are going to vote left uh in the same way that Ronald Reagan gave away California to the Democrats forever by legalizing millions of illegal immigrants in California in the 80s. And so, yeah, I mean, the idea that you're going to somehow be in control of the government and get it to do all of these things that you want it to do, it's not, not how it's going to work. What you need to do is commit to what you want to do to rid the world uh, of lying and to, to oppose sophists and liars. And um, that's going to give you more power rather than thinking you have a magic wand to make the government do what you want it to do.
2: Well, we've got a system that's supposed to divide the powers and then we have we need uh, a press that tells us the truth, and then we as citizens need to absorb that truth and direct the system to do what it's supposed to be doing. And uh, the way things are right now, people don't have the time; they're too exhausted when they come home to participate in government, go to meetings, and it's it, it's the mainstream media is not telling anything but. Whatever they think that the the whatever the corporate media has told them to say. So it's we haven't had really, according to the constitutional plan, we haven't had the kind of uh, system that would support liberty. For quite some time. Yeah, but I'm not sure
0: the death penalty for lying is the way that you support liberty. I think, again, free speech, free market of ideas, and I strongly urge you to put your lie detector mind and, and typing fingers into action and into motion to point out lies uh, wherever you can. So I'm going to close the show off for tonight. It's a great and exciting and wonderful show. I really appreciate everyone's time and effort and energy who calls in. Please check out my new book, The Art of the Argument, at theartoftheargument.com. Please support the show as best you can at um, freedomainradio.com slash donate. Follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. And you can use our affiliate link at com slash Amazon. Thanks everyone so much. Love you guys so much. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon.